All right. Coming to you from the space within cyberspace. This is camera noise. And then the X-File theme starts. Yeah, I was like, we need something really sci-fi. Like, like, right at that moment. Uh, I'm Stefan. I'm in here in Denver. And I'm Maddie, and currently in Cincinnati. Oh! Um, welcome back. Stephen. We got production value. Uh, yeah, it was an actual dire wolf in my room. Oh, <laughs> uh, I pet him. He's sweet. <laughs> his name is His name is Blade, and he's incontinent. <laughs> that's real life anyway <laughs> um uh welcome back to camera noise i'm saying welcome back because i'm sure you're coming back frequently to the listeners yes um we uh it was, it was announced the other day that the actress alicia vikander from ex machina she played the humanoid android uh the main one in that film um, she's been a couple other things, but she's been cast as the new Tomb Raider in a new film series about Laura Croft. Uh, how do you feel about this news, Maddie? Well, when it first came out, the da- Daisy Ridley was up for it. I was super excited. I was like, this is cool. She's, in my opinion, a really great actress. You know, Star Wars, like, while it's still happening, will be done and her story will end. Maybe, I mean, who knows what's going to ha- happen after this new trilogy. Maybe we'll get yeah. her. Maybe we'll get more stories with her, but we really don't know what's going to happen. So as an act, as someone in the industry, I feel like you got to kind of like sign on to stuff and be like, all right, well, we'll see what happens. But I need something under my belt to go to and do after Star Wars, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was excited to see her, uh, especially when you like uh, I follow her on Instagram and I, she'll just post all her workout stuff. So I was like, oh, shit. I mean, yeah. she'd be great. Like she can do all these stunts. I mean, we've, you know, I think who with, wouldn't enjoy that. Yeah, I mean, but like with the new, uh, with uh, Ryan Johnson's Star Wars coming out, it seems like it's going to be a lot more physical. We're probably going to get a lot of really cool, like, more Force stuff. So it'll be interesting to see, like, what she does in that film. But having this, the new Lady cast of Tomb Raider is great. And the thing I'm hoping for is that they follow, like, the new Tomb Raider games. Uh, That first one. Yeah. Uh, the first one, what is, what's that even called? Is it the rise the of the first one Raider? is called, no, the, I think the rise is the newest, the new one. So um, it's just the, called, it's just called Tomb Raider, called which, Tomb Raider. Was, okay. which was a really classy move. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought that game was, it was fucking phenomenal, man. And yeah. I've never been like a huge fan of the old Tomb Raider games or anything like they just weren't oh, no. for me for whatever reason. And I saw this new one and I just was, you know. It just looked really cool. It looked kind of like Uncharted, Indiana Jones, and all that. And you, like, kind of getting the the origins of Laura Croft seem really cool. And then, like, as you play yeah. it, it is really cool. You get to learn yeah. all this stuff. And they they uh, the upgrades the, are great in it. For the new reboot, they kind of they really brought certain things down to earth. They and and they, you know, they the design of it wasn't quite as cartoony for one but they also downplayed the original tomb raider as being like this buxom supermodel um kind of like you know some kind of some you know just like a not overly sexualized object but obviously sexualized in some way but you know i was always a big fan of the games um from the very first game you know and and yeah there were elements where they they you know tried to tantalize the the 
the player with her sexuality in some ways. They're very small, subtle ways, even in the first games. But I think it really came down to how big her boobs were. Yeah. <laughs> in, in most of them. So these, the newer rebooted franchise, they've kind of, you know, they've brought it into a more realistic realm where the Laura Croft of today is, you know, a lot less like obstructively buxom and, you know, like, um, you know, it played off of a lot of like 90s comic book uh, era or 90s era comic book art where you have these like J. Scott Campbell, like every every woman in the comic is just like this you know, super idealized uh, bombshell. Um, and so with these newer games, you know, they've kind of brought it to a more humanized Laura Croft. She's still beautiful, but, you know, like she's, she's beautiful in a lot of conventional ways in the design, but then also the shit that she goes through throughout the, these, the two newest games um, is really has more to do with her, her ability to persevere, her strength, her um her intelligence and her skill as as an adventurer basically her skill the skills that lie therein and so yeah the the uh, i haven't gotten to play rise of the tomb raider because it was an xbox one exclusive and i'm exclusively a playstation player yeah that was my um, i hated that i was like are you yeah. kidding me i have to wait another <laughs> fucking year for the video game yeah, i was so excited to play that shit yeah. So next year we'll get we'll get the sequel to that Tomb Raider game, which is fine. I'm happy to wait. It's okay because they have Uncharted four coming out on the PS4, and those games are phenomenal as well. Yeah. Anyway, Alicia Vikander. Uh, the only thing I've seen her in is Ex Machina, and um, I'm not going to say she, I, th- I think she's a great actress. I know she's a good actress, but the, her range wasn't really tested so much in Ex Machina. Yeah, um, but she's got a great look and her body type, her build, um, it, it fits the description of the newer games, you know, and, and I think the games, the newer games are such a hit, um, you know, that, I mean, that obviously has jump-started the interest in making another Tomb Raider movie, else they probably wouldn't even give a shit. Um, but like you, I was excited about Daisy Ridley being rumored for it, because I was just like, oh, perfect, I'm in. But yeah. then, you know, this is kind of, uh, and the actress who plays Laura Croft in the, in the games, who does the motion capture, she looks exactly like that Laura Croft. So, I mean, yeah. so, you know, ideally she would be the one playing Laura Croft, but um, I think because of the popularity of Ex Machina, especially after the Oscars, after it won um, yeah. for, what did it win for? I forget, best screenplay. It was either that or like, I think I, I, I maybe remember. I think it was nominated for effects as well. If it didn't win, I'm not sure. I have to we'll have to uh, look up those factoids. But um, um, but she seems or the but I think oh what I was saying was Alicia Vikander. I think she um, she's probably a bankable talent right now yeah. because of some of the stuff that she'd done. So it makes sense that they. You know, and there's probably different... And she's affordable. Uh, yeah, maybe she's affordable, exactly. And, you know, like, that's the other thing, too, is Daisy really is going to be busy with Star Wars for a while. So I'm sure yeah. she'll be able to fit some films in, but I, I bet you there was a major concern on whether whenever this film was going to be shot would probably somewhere around when Episode Nine might be shot or or the end of 8, who knows. Um, yeah. But, um, but, yeah, I think she's a really interesting casting choice because not only have we not seen so much from her, um, 
it'll be cool to have like for most people like this fresh face new version of Laura Croft because I think most people who aren't like super movie geeks or whatever are going to go in with the idea that they're seeing a remake of an Angelina Jolie movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, also, I think the thing that will also decide if this film is going to be worth our time or people's time is director, script writer, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, you can have like the perfect looking, you know, Laura Croft, but if you don't got that script or that director, man, that movie can fall yeah. flat real which, quick. So which, yeah, I'm kind of excited is, to see who they're going to get on board for this yeah. to what kind of story we're going to get. Cause if it plays out just like the origins of Laura Croft and kind of follows like the first Tomb Raider remake, uh, yeah. Tomb Raider game, I think that would be great. Can I get in some of those? Cause there are like weird creatures in that game and there's a lot of weird shit in it. Um, so it'd yeah. be cool to see kind of this like weirder kind of more like Indiana Jones, but like, you know, times 10 or something, you know, just yeah. kind of throw in yeah. some of that crazy. Cause I mean, in the other Tomb Raider movies, they kind of did that shit too. So, It'll be fun to see what they do with it. I'm, I'm definitely yeah. excited for her and yeah. the prospect of just having a cool, like, another badass woman character movie, you know? <laughs> just Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like, the, uh, the first two Tomb Raider movies with Angelina Jolie, like, some aspects of them were not completely off base. Um, yeah. The movies, the stories just weren't very good. You know, the movies just themselves weren't very great. You know, they're kind of just fun in the background kind of movies. Um, yeah. But I think, like, yeah, for my money, if they if they base any of it off of that kind of, if they root any of it, it within the new reboot, which I think, I would, I think it would be safe to assume that they are, um, yeah. you know, then they're already a, kind of a leg up on on what could be, you know, especially yeah. since there's rumored to be another Indiana Jones movie, yeah. um, which boggles the mind because I mean Harrison Ford, as great as he is, that motherfucker's getting old. <laughs> you yeah. know, like even even in even in the Force Awakens, he's like hobbling around and shit. You know, and it's like, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm I'm not sure that I want to see an old Indiana Jones. You know, um, you know so I, so I get uh, sorry sorry to finish my point. Um, I think uh, you know, it 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 is it is it would be great to see a new franchise in that same vein. Um, you know, because the Uncharted games themselves are kind of a love letter to that type of movie to begin with and you know it'd be kind of it'd be kind of cool to see how strangely meta a female quote-unquote female indiana jones would do at the box office and what they could do with that type of story all that clandestine activity and and uh jet setting across the world to solve some mystery that's tied to some mystical or magical artifact or something you know i love it i love that shit so much yeah yeah i mean i'm excited for it once they like when it was a prospect of daisy ridley i got excited and then when she was chosen i was also excited just because i love ex machina was such a like i I, it looked cool and then i saw it and i was like oh i really didn't realize how cool this movie was till yeah so let me let let me ask you a question what uh who do you think would be a good creative team behind this type of movie uh, does anything come to mind? Um, well, which we'll talk about later. Uh, I think the team that did Dread would be great, uh, which is also yeah. Alex Garland writing that Dread. Yeah. And I think he definitely has a good sense yeah. of like action and, you know, but yeah. he can also do the kind of subtle sci-fi stuff. Yeah. For, and I mean, for, I um, 
I, for the sorry, hold on. For the listeners, Alex Garland is also the writer of Ex Machina, um, and who who I believe won the Oscar for best screenplay. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, oh, he also did Twenty Eight Days Later. He wrote the script for that. He's also, oh, also a novelist nice. before. Cool. Uh, also, before he became a, kind of like a screenwriter in Hollywood, now that seems to be like a go-to most of the time. He also wrote novels, like he wrote the novel for The Beach. I don't know if he wrote the screenplay for that film. Okay. But then he's done some other stuff like Coma, and yeah, I have not read um, anything, but people who, who have read it um, really enjoy his work. So I think he'd be a great writer for that. I don't know if he'd necessarily want to direct that because I feel like after Ex Machina, what's he attached to now? He's attached to something big, right? Um, kind of, it escapes me right now, but I think you may yeah. be right. Um, I mean, he's probably attached to a bunch of shit now after winning an Oscar. but I I feel like it was something like kind of cool where I was like oh shit yeah yeah, yeah. oh no yeah I know what it is it's the uh, it's the Area X trilogy the first one's called um, Annihilation Uh, I read the first book it's kind of Lovecraftian meets it's just a weird fucking book I want to read them all but the first book is kind of standalone to what happens in the other two books uh-huh. Um, but uh, I think Oscar Isaac is actually in that as well. But um, cool. that's what he's attached to. But I would love to see him like maybe write that story because I feel like mm-hmm. he gets like I feel like he's really good at like humanizing people in like these extreme situations. Like Twenty Days Later, I think is yeah, really great. That you're kidding. You know, um, uh, I don't know like who I'd want to see to direct it necessarily. I mean, just you know, a solid like not necessarily maybe just like a solid indie director kind of getting their big chance to maybe do something a little bigger. Um, Yeah. Or just like a solid action director, not a big one, just someone who makes like kind of solid action films. Somebody, somebody who's good, somebody who's good with like nature kind of settings, you know, nature scenery um, would be good. Just off the top of my head, I think Joe Carnahan would be a good director for something like this. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you ever saw the A-team. Yeah, I did. I feel like a lot of people slept on that one because it's just like nonstop action and and it's pretty clever in my opinion. Um, but that's somebody somebody who I would think off the top of my head. I liked The Gray even though it wasn't like 100% satisfying. It was still pretty Yeah, fun. I feel like it was pretty long. <laughs> yeah, it was At long. At points I was like, come on, hurry up. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I thought The A-Team was pretty solid action flick, man. I mean, for the show that is just like an action movie. Yeah. I don't know what people were expecting because it, was so it wasn't going to be that kind of show, but I enjoyed the cast in that. I thought everyone was well cast, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think he'd be good. Just anyone who's done like a solid action movie throughout the years, I think would be, you know? Yeah. I don't know, man. I was just like looking through my movies, just trying to like pick, uh, I think like, uh, the guys who did Cold in July and like Stakeland, the Jim Mickle and uh, yeah, uh, would also be a cool one because I okay. think he has a cool visual style for a lot of his films are smaller and just kind of like revenge tales. But yeah. to kind of give him a budget, I'd really like to see what he would do with like an actual budget because I've seen the stuff he does with what people consider no budget and it's fucking cool. So to give this guy a budget, I think would be just to see what he would do and give him a franchise maybe. But um. Yeah, man. I, I think even there's some great like TV uh, directors, like some of the people who shoot like Fargo or, you know, some of these like Absolutely, shows that are doing yeah. really well. Like grab one of those dudes who like uh, or the guy who like uh, shot uh, the first season of True Detective. I think he has a really great visual style and he does he's he does nature really well, because if you watch that first season of um, good, good suggestion. True Detective, for sure. It's just like he's 
like that new or- that New Orleans setting is just there, man. And like that, you've seen it, right, True Detective? I haven't actually watched it. <laughs> I was going to let you just go ahead and gloss over that uh, part. Uh, <laughs> well, you're missing out. But the final, like the final episode where this like big fight goes down is fucking gorgeous and terrifying and haunting cool. and just if anything, Stefan, just like just catch scenes of that because I, I think after we'll, we'll, I, like what I've just said, you'd be like, oh yeah, this guy probably would be perfect cool. to do. We'll, it we'll, we'll we'll have a we'll have a catch up conversation on on True Detective now. I feel like I feel like my the. You know, my neglect has come now to haunt me because I've been meaning yeah. to get to it. And I hear how Dude. many people talk about, especially the first season and all that. And I just have not gotten to it. Yeah, um, I, I think you'll love Matthew yeah. McConaughey's character. He's like you oh. if you were a detective and burnt out. <laughs> like, he's just like spouting off philosophical shit about how the world sucks and nice. <laughs> like how everyone like has all this material shit and it's not yeah. worth it. I mean, it's great, man. Yeah. Second season fails in comparison, in my opinion, but you know, it's another conversation for another yeah. time. So, uh, you know, who I think would be another good choice, possibly as like a director or whatever, just if we're throwing that out there speculatively, is yeah. the director is uh, Jeremy Solnier, the director of uh, Blue Ruin and the upcoming Green. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and just I, just because I was just thinking about like in Blue Ruin, how that main character he just goes through so much shit, you know, just to get from point He'd A to point B. He'd be a great writer director team. Yeah, you know, and that tension would be, you know, I think that's really where a Tomb Raider film would excel is by creating that tension. Maybe even like playing up some more of the stealth kind of moments that happen in that game. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of like head-on confrontation, which is great too. It'll be great to see Alicia Vikander with uh, you know with the double pistols or whatever you know yeah. whatever it may be that the the ice pick or the the climbing yeah. axe that she has. Yeah, uh, I would love you, to see a more like a more bow and arrow like get a kind of like. Oh, a, I just, just like yeah. yeah, just for uh, just for the first part. I think once she like comes into her own in the film mm, and like we get yeah. like the final scene where she is the Tomb Raider. Yeah. I think the little pistols have to come out just for the little nod to the original. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it would be. Yeah, it would be really cool to see. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how they do like the bow and arrow action and stuff like that, because we've seen so much of Katniss Everdeen at this point yeah. um, with her bow and arrow. And that has kind of like, you know, there's not any Robin Hood films yeah. out right now and not to generalize or to do anything like that. But it's it seems like, you know, there are female characters out that are mass that are doing great with the bow and arrow. I mean, we have Hawkeye and he's yeah. awesome. But I think, you know, just to see what they'll do with Laura Croft as this, like, badass archer, because you know they're going to. That's a huge part of um, of that re- the first rebooted Tomb Raider game. I know when I was playing it kind of recently, I went and replayed it a second time. Yeah. That bow and arrow, those those flaming arrows, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like it, that thing is your best friend. I hardly, I mean, up until the last couple stages where you're fighting, you're using pretty much, you're using guns a lot. But that bow and arrow was pretty much my main weapon throughout the whole game. Yeah. Um, I don't even you think, know, you, I think I just try to get through the final with just using the bow and arrow mostly. Yeah, yeah. And you, I, you become so good with it at that point. You become so fucking good with it, man. And that'd be cool if they could kind of capture that type of action because you you end up by the by the middle of that game, you end up making so many really quick decisions, taking enemies out, and then you get so good, you're able to build your character and you get so good to to you know one thing I loved when I was playing that game is I would 
I got so good with that bow and arrow that I would like plan out who I was going to hit first out of like five guys. And then just like a chain reaction of knocking them out in these flame arrows. And so it's just like, get, 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 get. And you see somebody notices you and runs at you, get hits him. And before all the bodies, you know, all the bodies hit the floor at the same time and they burn, you know, it makes you feel like a fucking, you know, like a vengeful, wrathful uh, or some agent of vengeance. You know, I was in there to win it. So it would be really great. It would be really great for a Tomb Raider film um, at this point with, with Alicia Vikander to see, you know, to capture some of the excitement that those games provide. Because uh, yeah, there's, I mean, so, there's so much cool action stuff you could do with, with this character and, and some, of the, some of the conventions that are brought up in that game or some of the things you end up getting to do. It'll, yeah, it'll be interesting because I'd love to see her like not start the movie out being like, oh, I'm this badass archer. Like I want to see her like have to pick up that bow because it's the only weapon around or the ice pick, you know, and like just kind of survive off those couple of things for at least half the film. Yeah. You know? And then maybe yeah. a backstory of how she learned how to shoot or something. I don't know. Like, I mean, it, you know, I mean, it's going to be weird to translate that game into a movie, yeah. but I think, like I said, with the right team behind it, it could be a fucking great Tomb Raider and yeah. it could be, yeah. I, I don't even know, man. Like there's so much possibility to just have a cool, like could, could, to maybe even separate the game from the film franchise and just have these really solid Tomb Raider. Like if the game never existed, it would still be, Right. Great, yeah. Like this great well, couple that, of films, yeah. maybe two or just one. It would. That's always the hope, you know, like that whatever the film version is, like surpasses the source material in some way. You know, it's like there's so many yeah. movies that people don't know are great books, but the movie is so yeah. great that that's the thing that stands, you know, the test of time yeah. or whatever. Um, you know, one thing that I liked in the newer Tomb Raiders is that the supporting characters were pretty interesting as well. And they played into the story. Yeah. Pretty, you know, a lot of it has to do with her, her own, um, her own convictions towards her friendships and stuff and how her friendships mean everything to her. So like she gets, she goes through some shit just to try and save friends of hers, you know, and you have the comic yeah. relief, you have the strong silent type, you have like the female companion kind of character. So It'll be cool to see who they cast in those roles. And, you know, it'd be especially interesting if they're like TV actors or whatever, you know, like I'm sure there's this is not going to have the biggest budget for a reboot. Um, yeah. So it'll be cool to see who they draw uh, to be some of these supporting characters to kind of fill up Laura Croft's uh, world or the surrounding cast like that, that dude in the game, who's like that snivelly scientist who's just out for f- uh, fortune and glory. Yeah. Um, it kind of kind of betrays them. Um, you know, it'd be really cool to see who they get to play him and just kind of ham up that kind of role, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's, there's, this is just the beginning and I'm, I'm for one, I'm really very excited to see what happens with the new Tomb Raider and yeah, shit, man. I can't wait to play that rise of the Tomb Raider. God damn. I know. Right, man. I was, uh, <laughs> you did not know how upset I was when I, found, I was like, wait, this better not just be a fucking exclusive for like ever. Cause yeah. part of me you was know, like, you might have to buy an Xbox One. You know, one thing I do miss, and this is probably just the adolescent boy in me, one thing I really miss in these Tomb Raider games, and I don't know if you're familiar, but I played through all the original ones. Um, one thing I really miss is the handstand trick you could do whenever she climbed a ledge. 
I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> the, thing, the thing about it, though, is I can see that being interpreted as being somewhat sexualized. It's a very sensual, graceful movement, and it's absolutely unnecessary for the situation she's pitted in at the time. <laughs> like, but, yeah. but good Lord, man, you know, it would just warm my heart if I could get a little handstand here and there. <laughs> Maybe that just needs to be like a, a new game mode plus or some shit, like where you can play through it. And uh, I'm gonna die alone. <laughs> I yeah, I, I just I really like the direction they're taking with those games, and I, so I feel I. like kind of giving her a new voice and not maybe throwing some little nods to the old series and stuff is great, but <laughs> I don't want to see anything like that necessarily. Satis- uh, I mean, if they, if, if they work it in, it'll be great. Just to, it's if just they can little... work it in and make me believe. You know, it's just I just enjoy uh, freedom in games, and it's just a nice, um, graceful expression of of the beauty. <laughs> so, two uh, movie now. Let's we go. will we will uh, keep you informed on more Tomb Raider news as it becomes available to us. Um, Alicia Vikander, congratulations! You seem like a great pick, and very excited to see you bring Laura Croft to life. Yeah. Um, next on the agenda, on the very uh, meticulously planned and strategized camera noise queue of topics to talk about, you know, without us, the general public doesn't even know they don't. what's they going have no on. Idea. <laughs> so most recently, I am assuming that pretty much everybody who listens to this which um, we're not really sure the number, what that number is, but I'm pretty sure anybody who listens to anything we're saying has at this point seen Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Um, and Maddie and I on, our, on, our, on another podcast we participate in, Superhouse, check it out. Um, we had a huge discussion about how we felt about Batman versus Superman, Batman v Superman. And, you know, like the reviews were pretty mixed, but I think generally all of us enjoyed the experience of seeing Batman and Superman on screen. You know, there was not very many great moments to hang on to, but what was there, I personally felt like, uh, you know, they at least, they at least hit some nails on the head, you know, it's a whole board of nails and they got maybe three or four, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, I I think it'll be interesting to see that director's cut or whatever's coming. Um, There's been so much backlash. yeah, I've had I had fun with it. I mean, I didn't know what to expect, and I just kind of knew going in they were throwing a bunch of shit together to make this movie and making yeah. up for lost time. And so yeah. I think what we got was like, but not not great. But it wasn't the. I mean, I've watched a lot of fucking shitty films, so yeah. this yeah. is not like a shitty film. Right, it has problems yeah. like any other big budget movie. But yeah. you know, I, I you know. For the most part, I enjoyed a lot of stuff. I really like the Batman stuff in it. I really like Affleck as Batman. I just right. feel like Snyder's got to kind of step away from. He's got to step away from the the brighter and happier characters. Like he does his best when he's dealing with like the scum of the earth or like the, the Batman's. You know, yeah, like he yeah. he gets the darkness. So. Well, yeah, that's. It'll be uh, interesting to see his Justice League or whatever he's yeah. doing after well, this. That's, uh, that's, you know, my favorite parts about Batman vs. V Superman was Batman, was Affleck's yeah. Batman. I feel like, you know, they did as, they 
did as much as they could. I remember reading that Batman was going to get more screen time than Superman at one point. He did. Um, but, you know, it's just like we barely scratched the surface of what Ben Affleck's Batman could be or is. And, you know, especially since there was a lot of um, apprehension to Affleck playing Batman by a lot of the fans. I think uh, I even had some things to say about it when I first heard about it. You know, I think it came as a shock to a lot of people because, yeah. they, you know, there's kind of a stigma around Ben Affleck. Uh, you know, like a lot of people just perceive him as being this huge douche and you know, that may be in real life, but uh, bottom line is his Bruce Wayne was really great. His Batman was pretty damn good. Um, so, uh, sorry, this the topic we're discussing is not Batman v Superman. Um, no, but um, I'm over it. Th th there was, yeah, you know, it is what it is. And it was nice to, to introduce some of these new things to us. I love the new Batmobile uh, as one example. Yeah. But um, uh, so Jeff Johns, who is like the creative officer of the DCU films, much like Kevin Feige is for Marvel. Um, and Jeff Johns has been a writer for DC Comics for years and has had a, many influential storylines that has mapped out our current, um, the current iterations of the Batman universe uh, and um, other various DC characters. Um, so Jeff Johns and Ben Affleck have been confirmed as working on a script for a solo Batman film where Affleck would direct and star um, that they are professing to be in their eyes, the definitive Batman movie. Um, what do you think of that? Uh, fuck yeah, let's do it. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I think uh, just having Affleck be Batman, you kind of get, I mean, if you've seen any of his films, which he sometimes stars in and doesn't, the dude yeah. will make a fucking great detective movie. If you've ever yeah. seen like gone baby gone, that's a really great mystery thriller. Um, yeah. I also think Argo is really good. My only beef with that is he's not a Mexican American, but he right. plays the main <laughs> character. So that kind of bugs the shit out of me because it's a really cool story about, you know, and it would have been great to see someone cast that actually looks like the person who actually went and did this really cool shit because that book is right. fucking great. But um, not to get off topic, but I think he's a great director. I think he's going to have a great visual style for what he wants to do with Batman. Um, I think he's a great Batman as well. He's also a great Bruce Wayne. Uh, yeah. I think to do more detective work in a Batman movie would be great. I think he can do that. Um, from what Stefan had told me, it seems like they're going to run the gamut of every Batman villain. So that'll yeah. be interesting to see what we do get to see. Um, I, I'm always in the camp for, since we've kind of had Nolan's like serious, like brought to a, you know, brought to earth Batman, I would kind of like to see the more eccentric and maybe get, you know, with Suicide Squad, we're getting like Killer Croc and some of the kind of crazier characters. Right, yeah. I would love to see the Blayface movie because he's a great villain, um, you know. Yeah, uh, me too. There's, there's the uh, creature feature guy inside me that would love to see like Man Bat, but I just don't feel like you could face a whole movie off of him. Right, so, yeah. You know, I, it'll be interesting because I think uh, I've said this before that some of the best Batman comics always have this Batman catching like the Riddler or some minor character in the beginning. And you're like, and then he goes on this long journey. You're just reading this entire thing. And then at the end, the Riddler shows up. And you're like, what the fuck's the Riddler doing back? And he's like, I planned all of this. And you're like, oh, fuck, Riddler's fucking great, you know? Um, so I think uh, Nolan kind of touched on that with like having uh, like in Batman Begins, like, you think Scarecrow is like the main villain. He doesn't end up being, there's a better villain. So I think as long as they kind of stay true to like those really cool 
moments in like Batman graphic novels and comics, I think it would be, I think I, they're a great team. I mean, Jeff Johns has written some of the best like DC comics, you know, like, I'm sure some people will probably like be like, Oh, he only writes decent ones or whatever. But you know, I thought flashpoint paradox was great. Um, so it'll yeah. be interesting to see what uh, they come well, up yeah, with. The, so yeah, like uh, the quote from the quote, uh, from DC, uh, it doesn't specify in the article I'm reading, doesn't specify who exactly said it, but it, it goes, um, it's going to be crammed with bat villains, which means that just about every major bad guy you've ever wanted to see in a movie will be in this movie. According to my sources, uh, somebody speaking from Warner Brothers, a- Affleck and Jeff Johns, uh, who has been working with him on the film, want to make the definitive Batman film. They want to tell the ultimate Batman story, and to do so, they're going to bring in all the big guns. They're going to have a big, sprawling bat universe already in place. Um, so, does that does that mean that we're going to see Nightwing and Robin as well, or you know, like iterations of those characters? I didn't you know, think about it, that. But the timing works out that you know, if if we're going to see Joker on screen again, why is he? Why why wouldn't he be in? You know, Jared Leto's Joker. Why wouldn't he be in the definitive Batman movie? With you know I mean, what I mean? You have so, to put, if you're being in the definitive Batman movie, Joker's the yeah. de- definitive villain. You know, sure, sure. Um, so he has to be in there to a degree. Um, yeah, and and also another thing to think about is um, the Arkham series of games. Uh, you know, kind of in their own right, the definitive Batman games have they've already played in this kind of framework. You know what I mean? They've played with the ideas of how these villains interact with one another. And, you know, the whole idea of the Arkham Asylum and Batman having possibly having a hand in creating these villains in some twisted psychological way. Um, And he's no better than them. You know, there's so much, there's so much material to draw from, but also there we've seen it, tested in a certain way so it'll be interesting to see if they head in the direction of like the arkham games in terms of the way that they handle multiple villains because there were some pretty fucking amazing scarecrow moments which which yeah you know to see that on big on the big screen going through these hallucinations and stuff you really can just you know and now after suicide squad seeing killer croc and after seeing doomsday and batman v superman um it really opens the gates up to like some of that wilder shit hopefully Mad Hatter, the Mad fucking Hatter. Let's just make him the main villain. How about screw everybody yeah. else? That's a great <laughs> idea. <laughs> you know, it's the best thing about a lot of Batman villains is you can kind of see things from their side. So you know, to see this fully fledged out Bat world um, that's already in place as this movie goes in, like how, like you know, Gotham City is, is going to be a very strange place. Well, I was just thinking Clayface would be a great character if you're going to run the gamut of villains since he, he could potentially yeah. become all of them. Yeah, even if he's like, even if he's robbing a bank or something at the beginning, just show that interaction. You know, yeah. one of my favorite moments in, in those episodes is when he's trying to suffocate Batman by swallowing him into his own body. Yeah, yeah. It's so terrible, you know, like to see that on the big screen, see Affleck you know, coming up with some gadgets or something in the cool, you know, a second uh, second iteration of the newer bat suit, you know? I, I will say in Batman versus Superman, my one of my favorite scenes is uh, that fight where uh, Batman goes to save uh, Martha Kent and uh, Oh, yeah. Just uh, the use of the gadgets, like they've never been, uh, for me, they've never been used like that except for in the video game. 
Right, right. Um, where you yeah. can, can combine all this stuff. And I was just like, if if Affleck and Johns can pull off fight scenes like that, like this, whatever Batman they're going to come, whatever it's going to be called will be great. I would really like to see a Court of Owls movie. I think that's a really good story by Scott Snyder. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was really kind of hoping that Scott Snyder might get involved and kind of like write something because I just think he's right, been like a powerhouse right. in they the, just, the new they, 52 uh, Batman. So. I forget the yeah. other writer, the other the artist's name who's worked with him a lot, but Scott Snyder is is no longer writing Batman after. Yeah, this I know month. they just. So they but apparently they had a really great like farewell issue. I have to catch up on those because the new Fifty Two has been pretty great. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, it's it's you know now it's and since there is somewhat of a sour taste in people's mouths, I think just based on the reviews of Batman v Superman, it's like you know from my perspective people like take it easy it's not that big of a deal like just chill out you know but um but you know it seems like there's there's it's very rocky ground that they're on it's very shaky ground rather um and so you know just like you were saying Affleck being the solid filmmaker that he is Jeff Johns being the seasoned veteran of the DC universe um right now the odds are looking very good in the favor of this actually becoming quote unquote, the definitive Batman movie, which I hope it is. It just makes me excited that I might see something like that just gets it right. Like everything I've ever wanted to see in a Batman movie. Um, The, the, yeah, the relationship between Alfred and Bruce in Batman V Superman was really very lovingly handled. I will say, I think, you know, the way that they had Alf, you know, Alfred, uh, in the in the Nolan versions, Alfred was you know he did some kind of like you know espionage kind of things with Batman. He he participated there a little bit, but it was really to be advice. It was really to be like guidance um, yeah. for 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 Christian Bale's Bruce Wayne. Uh, but in Batman v Superman, that Alfred not only was he dispensing advice and like being a sounding board for, board for Bruce or being the voice of reason. But he was also like hands deep in working on the Batmobile, working on navigational things, working on, you know, searching through databases and working on gadgets and this, this and that. You know, he was very hands on um, with Batman. So that, you know, just seeing that spark off in Batman v Superman, I need more of that. Alfred and Bruce like doing their thing. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm eager to see. Robin, I'm really eager to see an iteration of Robin that works. Um, yeah, I mean, because they've never really done it since you yeah. know, shitty that yeah. shitty Batman movie. Um, so it, it'll be like, I mean, I don't know what we're gonna get thrown into. Like you said, maybe there's already been a Robin and he's become mm-hmm. Nightwing now, so maybe mm-hmm. we'll get. I mean, I would love to see like a Damian, uh, Damian Wayne Robin. Yeah, and absolutely. Just kind of like catch us up, like yeah, it's it's Exotelliago, and now we got this kid, and he's Robin. That, like that, sweet, yeah. that unto itself could be its own movie. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that could be that, a new trilogy. You know, that Batman dealing with fatherhood and having this badass robin but also it's his son or whatever you know like Like, that would be really cool and and you know in the batman v superman spoilers you know batman kills quite a bit um in these films so it will you know it's like we are kind of prepared we're a generation that's prepared for a harder edged robin when you think about you know when you think about when you think about the dick ward 
Robin to where we are now, you know, like you think about the Adam West Batman, like the Adam West Batman would not even been known how to handle a gun, let alone kill someone with it. But, yeah. you know, the, the Batman in Batman v Superman is kind of a tactician, you know, he's very militaristic. So yeah. this, this, his, his ability to fight crime is taken very seriously. And that's kind of where those films lie. So if we're going to see any Robin, you know, especially since we've seen the costume in Batman v Superman, the Jason Todd, uh, you know, possibly Jason Todd costume, um, you know, we're already kind of set up to have a very dark bat universe. So, you know, that's, that's, yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah. I was just kind of hoping that maybe Johns and F like take it back to the Batman. We all know and love who doesn't use a gun and we can right. kind of maybe erase like the events of Batman versus Superman or <laughs> yeah. just like, be like, we know what he did, but I would just don't, yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to remember it. I just, yeah. I mean, that's the thing that I love about Batman is like he could easily use a gun at any given time and if this job would be easier, you know? Yeah. Um, but I just, that code is what like brings me back to Batman, you know? Like, For sure. Same thing. So, that, that, you know, that was something that really bothered me in the Zack Snyder film and his explanation pretty much was like, uh, you know, Batman kills in this film, but it's never directly him killing anybody. It's just kind of like he drags a car full of guys uh, behind the Batmobile and just kind of un- unlatches them yeah. uh, off well, the I mean, ramp or whatever. And just like, <laughs> you know, I mean, it is him killing him, but that's the, you know, that's the rationale that Zack Snyder has. Yeah, has it. It, I mean, I, I, I feel the same way. But yeah. it's, you know, that was one thing for me that was kind of sad. I was like, really? Like, you got to go that far? But, you know, it seems like, you know, for our age and where f- movies are now, especially comic book movies, like, are starting to get a harder edge. Yeah. And especially with Deadpool having gotten an R rating and it being what it was. But it really didn't get an R rating for the gore amount or the violence. Mm-hmm. It got an R rating for the the potty mouthness of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. the majority of why it did, you know, so it doesn't, it's interesting to see how Zack Snyder has interpreted this, especially after doing Watchmen, because Watchmen, you could get away with that shit because it's such a bleak reality. Yeah. Um, but I think with these DCU characters, um, we want to see that it's not wholly a bleak reality, that some of the things that are being fought for are worth fighting for, worth protecting and I think there's a certain innocence with the Batman character that you you kind of destroy when he starts killing people, you know, and that's yeah, that's almost too bleak, you know, I think for you and I, that's probably a little too bleak. I'm just like, damn, like why you gotta go that route? Um, but it is something that has happened unless 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 that's like a crisis of infinite earth's kind of alternate reality, which I hope it is <laughs> because. Yeah that would be perfectly fine with me. Um, yeah. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps, yeah, it would, it would be, it would be a lot more sensible for Affleck and Jeff Johns to bring it back to a level that's, you know, back to the honor that Batman has, because then otherwise he is kind of just one of the villains that he's created. He's killing yeah. all these motherfuckers. There's gotta be some nobility that sets him apart, you know, and that's, that's why it's always been such a struggle you know, because the villains have no problem killing him, but for him to kill yeah. one of them means that he's no better. And so, you know, goddamn, I just really am very excited about this. I think, you know, after from the first time Ben Affleck was announced as Batman to now, it's like 
the, the timing's really nice and the pieces are all set up. And, you know, if anything, that's one good thing that Batman v Superman did was put Affleck's Batman in front of the audience and be like, look, this motherfucker knows what's up. So yeah. give him a chance. Yeah. So if anything, you know, we're with within that kind of reasoning, we're off to a pretty good start. And and goddamn, man, if we're going to see definitive Batman villains, we're going to see probably Killer Croc come back. We're, for sure, we'll probably see Clayface. We'll get to see a cool penguin, hopefully, you know, like, yeah. even hope I, I don't know how many they're trying to get in there, but there's some great villains. The Clock King, <laughs> yeah. the cal- Calendar Man, you know. Hush, uh, cool. The red, uh, the red like hood. A, Goddamn. Uh, a really awesome Bane would be uh, a really great. Cool Bane, yeah. A, a new, yeah. A, a little bit different take, not so realistic take on Bane would be cool. Poison Ivy, even man, she can be a very, yeah. a very uh, interesting villain within the right hands, and you know, the Riddler is one I'm really itching to see um, yeah. come to life again. You know, I think I'm personally, I, I, I I'm. I don't love Batman forever, but I think it's not, it's okay. You know? And I think one of the things that makes it really okay is Jim Carrey's Riddler for me is fucking awesome. I think the cast of Batman forever is great. I think if Jim Carrey would have played it the way he kind of did like the, like some of his like more serious roles with a little bit of humor in it, he would have been a great Riddler. Yeah. Tom Lee Jones is two faced. Are you kidding me? Fuck. Yeah. He just plays it to like, I mean, they play it I very know. coked out. Yeah, They're I mean, very, like, I feel like it just, yeah, it almost becomes like a uh, parody of itself towards like the last half That's of that true. film. And That's um, true. I mean, Tommy Lee Jones is a great serious actor, and you know, I think he can do comedy really well too. He's really good at being that straight face, just like. I think yeah. that cast was great. I think that could have been a really cool movie in different hands. Uh, I don't Val Kilmer as Bruce Wayne. Uh, it wasn't I bad. <laughs> no, I didn't. I mean. That soundtrack is also a very strange soundtrack. It's like the yeah. definitive like '90s soundtrack. It has fucking has yeah. Sunny Day Real Estate on it for Christ's sake. Like really, that's that awesome. on a Batman movie. But uh, Kiss yeah, I mean, was, dude, love it, man. Favorite song <laughs> ever, you know. Uh, I, I mean, I'd really like to watch it again to kind of. I'm sure I would hate parts of it, but I feel for the most part that was a solid Batman film after. Yeah. Uh, you know, before it went super crazy with like Batman and Robin, like it was still a little grounded, still had like the, I don't know, man, I'd really like to watch it again and just kind of get that, uh, <laughs> maybe that should be the next camera noise. We watch Batman forever. <laughs> oh, Hey, yeah, why not? We, we, we can pick up some with throwback projects where we, yeah. we riff track some of these great classics of sci-fi fantasy. <laughs> I don't know. Or we just sit there um, and try to make fun of it. And then we can't yeah. because it's so good. Um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, no, no, so I'm very excited. So, for that, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really good news. I think, you know, the news of the news of them getting this solo Batman film and it being confirmed and greenlit was uh, sometime last week. And, you know, we've had some time to process that idea and stuff like that. And it just, it's like a no brainer, man. I think, I think there's, the potential, especially with what we saw Affleck do in Batman v Superman, there's the potential for um, a slew of great Batman films in the making. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they've learned anything from Marvel, um, you know, give the fans what they want, you know, show the fans, show the fans what they know, you know, like, 
commune with them, connect with the fans in a way, you know, don't just invent who, you know, what the industry thinks Batman should be. So, yeah. you know, time will tell and we'll definitely keep you posted on all Batman news as it comes to us. Um, next up, uh, it's, it was just another announcement that um, we read that's kind of been going around through movie blog circles and movie news sites and stuff is that uh, Carl Urban um, ha has been quoted as saying conversations are happening uh, in terms of a dread sequel that would be on a streaming service, possibly Netflix. Um, I know that there have been petitions since Dread came out, um, which Dread, if you haven't seen it, watch it. Stop this podcast yeah. right now. Get a hold of a copy of that film. Um, it is, it's a great, small, low-budget sci-fi film. It's reminiscent of movies like Total Recall, um, RoboCop. It, it just has like a really hard edge. They do well with a small budget. Carl Urban is a great dread. Uh, Olivia Thurlby plays um, Judge Anderson, who's a psychic character. She's fantastic. It's a really great film, really cleverly done. Go watch that shit right now. <laughs> um, but uh, since that came out, since it's developed a cult status uh, on DVD and Blu-ray, there have been petitions online, numerous petitions to get you know a, a big enough grassroots movement to get a sequel made to get anything more of this universe made. Um, and there, uh, I've, I've heard quoted on like the behind the scenes stuff from the DVD of the filmmakers and all the research they did and all the, the way that they developed just this small little glimpse into the mega city universe, into the 20, 2000 AD universe of Dread. Um, and I remember them quoting as saying like, we wanna do sequels, we have plans for numerous dread sequels that play on the pivotal dread stories which um you know judge dread isn't as popular a character in america as he is in the uk but yeah. um that's all about to change and with this news of their convert quote unquote conversations are happening um you know i think that grass movement that grassroots movement has i've signed numerous petitions to get it made um, that grassroots movement has, you know, snowballed to at least this point. So it's yeah. great news. Um, um, what do you think, Maddie? Uh, I was super excited about it. I really enjoyed Dread. I, I think it took me a little while to, like, finally sit down and watch it. I think this was when, like, Netflix had it on, like, for a um, while. And I just was kind of like, all right, it's time. I heard too much about it. Got to Got to watch it. Enjoyed everything I saw. It's actually... I mean, it's a really weird movie. It's called Dread. It's about Judge Dread, but it's more about like Olivia Thurby's character and then the villain played by Lena Headey. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I feel like Dread is just kind of the minor character, kind of like what we saw with Fury Road, Mad Max Fury Road, is whereas Max is just this kind of secondary character to these other characters becoming. It's kind of a weird kind of feminist film, sort of like, which is weird to say for a Dread, uh, dread movie. Yeah, because uh, you have like strong female characters. You have a really great female villain that's like, like the worst villain ever. And then you have, you know, Dread doesn't talk that much. Dread says what he has to say, and then they move on, and then they kill, and then they, you know, progress the plot along. But it was a weird film to see, and also uh, to re revitalize the franchise after like the Stallone one. You know, like yeah. what a weird direction to take it in and make this more movie about 
this main female character who's just becoming a judge yeah. and like who gets partnered with the old, the, the best of the best judges, you know? Yeah. You know, his, um, that, that's what was cool is like, he was already established and you know, yeah. she, she was, you know, she, we were, we were judge Anderson, you know, we were, yeah. we were, we we're being introduced just as she is into this world. Um, and I think, you know, there's a sour taste in people's mouth from the Stallone version. And there, there are certain aspects of that movie that I really enjoy the, the oh, yeah, original yeah. judge dread, you know, and Stallone yeah. is not a terrible pick for what, what that, you know, what the image of dread evokes or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. um, you know, Carl Urban, the handling of, of this dread in the, in the, in this newer version, the handling of, you know, his down to it from his dialogue to his demeanor to, the way that he trains Anderson, you know, the, the characters around him is just so pitch perfect and satisfying. Carl Urban is, you know, he's one of my favorite kind of sci-fi actors, you know, like he's, he's one of those guys that's kind of at the top of the B list, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I would, if I know, I feel like it's being billed as like a, a Netflix movie. I think Dread would make a really cool television show. Uh, I mean, yeah. I because I mean Olivia Thurby. I don't know what the last thing she did was. Carl Urban. I mean, he has a Star Trek franchise, mm-hmm. but besides that, like it doesn't seem like they couldn't get them to do a 10, 12 episode right. run, like uh, um, like you know a Daredevil kind of thing that they've been doing. Yeah. I think that'd be really fun, and you can explore the city more. Um, yeah, you actually, know, it'd be interesting what Netflix um, wants to do with it. One of the uh, one of the petitions that I signed, a more recent one that you know came days before this news amount announcement. So you know, not to toot my own horn, but I feel like I had a little credit in that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but one of the, no, I'm just kidding. But one of the uh, you know, they had like little videos from Carl Urban and Olivia Thurlby, and it's you know there there are you know discussions that she and Carl Urban and the the director and the writer and you know, the production team of this film have been conversing with the fans since day one. Um, so there's a nice little video of Olivia Thurlby thanking people for their signatures and, you know, kind of, you know, sh- showing a vested interest in getting these films made, um, which I think is really great. She's such a, she's such an eclectic young actress, you know, and, and for her to pop up in this, like this unassuming, sci-fi film you know most people just thought it was just some low budget piece of crap but you know it really turns out to be a very inventive science fiction revelation you know there's just a you know you don't get too many of these hard r-rated science fiction movies the way we got in the 80s you know predator and um alien aliens you know what i mean it's just like we don't really see that too much anymore because i think the general perception from within the market is that you know only young people are watching sci-fi or interested in science fiction and fantasy you know so a lot of those films are geared towards a younger audience but when you have a gem like dread is that just hits on all levels you know it's 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 funny too it has moments that are really clever and quirky and funny that work for this you know this bleak dystopia that yeah. it takes place in um it's uh you know it's just again it's just one of those great little projects that now that we hear you know conversations are happening or whatever it may be like that's just you know that's just a small little tidbit of news that you know fans of this particular film 
are eaten up right now. It's just like, oh yeah. man, like that is very satisfying considering a year ago, two years ago, this wasn't even even a possibility. You know, the the as close as they got was Alex Garland was writing comic book one offs for you know, the universe they set up or, you know, maybe it wasn't him exactly, but you know, somebody was, and they were tying it to this film, but that's all we were really getting. Um, yeah. And now it's like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Cross your fingers. You know, <laughs> yeah. it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I really, um, I, um, what you were saying about predator and aliens and these kind of like hard R like sci-fi films and stuff. I really, that's one of the things I loved about Deadpool is like, I told the story of when I was watching it, I, I was like looking around I was like, am I allowed to watch this? This is like a Marvel movie. And like, yeah. I haven't seen anything like this in so long. And then I like, I took a deep breath and I was like, you're a fucking 32 year old man. You can watch Deadpool. It's hard R. Yes. This is what I'm for. You know, like, I had to like sign myself up to get through yeah. this like rated R movie, which I just thought was very weird because, you know, for better or worse, I kind of grew up on this stuff like Commando, Predator, uh, just like those classic R rated films that were just everywhere, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's great that Dread is kind of finding this, uh, this like second home in Netflix, which I think is what is great about Netflix. They are saving things that fans love. Like, even if it's like a low rated television show, uh, the first thing that comes to mind that I didn't watch till after Netflix got it and then did their own season was The Killing, which I thought was a solid show. Yeah. Um, so I like that they're just like, even if they're just doing that one last season, man, they are finishing this up for the fans. They, I feel like Netflix is like what you want, like DC to like, li like, listen to us. We know what we want. And I feel like Netflix goes, we know here, hold on, just come on, give us a year. You'll get the last yeah. season of the show. It's really, you know, the dynamic uh, of, of, of entertainment is really changing with these streaming services and stuff. And it's really cool. Cause now I think, you know, it's easy to get distracted by a lot of entertainment, but now it's the quality of all these distractions is going way up. So, yeah. I mean, can you really blame a, a fan, you know? Anyway. I mean, it's so weird to have, like, AMC and then, like, FX and all yeah. these other shows making these, like, quality television shows. And I don't even think I really watch anything on a major network anymore. And that's, like, back when I was growing up, that's, like, you had to watch, like, X-Files on Fox because that was, like, the weird crazy channel, you know? Yeah. Like, Fox did the weird and it's like ABC, NBC played it. Pushing push the envelope. <laughs> yeah, and it's like you have, like you even have, I mean, you've had HBO and stuff, but them even getting into the game of TV shows and Showtime and Stars, like uh, just releasing yeah. like, what comes to mind also is like Ash versus Evil Dead, which was a great fucking season one, man. Like it, those yeah. guys fucking got it. They got Sam back. They got the creative team back. And they just fucking rocked it out, man. That show, that season was great. Yeah, um, I, have to I really like yeah, I just really like this resurgence and like trying to pick up these weirder franchises on these like maybe smaller networks or something and, you know, giving them a decent budget to work with. Because, I mean, we saw what they did with the Dread movie. That budget Definitely. couldn't have been that big. So I'm assuming yeah. you know, there's got to be a little more power behind it now. So yeah. I don't, it's going to be interesting. Just I, I think we're living in a really fun time for entertainment now and getting yeah. to see a lot of you know, like what Stefan and I probably grew up reading as kids or at least picking, like I probably right, had a couple yeah. of of Judge Dredd, yeah. you know. Um, you know, actually it, my it, first, uh, my first Judge Dredd comic was actually a Batman and Judge Dredd, uh, yeah. like one shot where they were, they were both, um, 
they were both captured by some unseen entity and put on this planet where they were they were they were meant to fight the greatest warriors that were gathered from around the galaxy or some shit like that. It was like really crazy, but it you know it was a setup for Batman to meet Dread, but it actually yeah. turned out to be just a great a great you know one off or whatever. Um, yeah, I, but, that's one thing I liked about like a lot of those '90s comics is like one of my favorites, like Batman versus Predator, dude. Yes. Two of my favorites, yeah, man. Totally, like, totally. Um, but yeah, man, uh, I feel like I don't know. I mean, Netflix and some of these channels are taking gambles on some of these smaller, like comic book uh, things that people really liked. Like, I didn't really read Grindel that much, but I, I think that would be a really cool television yeah. show. Um, there's just a lot of prospect out there to kind of get some of these properties that like Marvel doesn't own or DC doesn't own, and kind of make these cool TV shows. Cause I mean, they're kind of revitalizing a lot of these, like with redoing comics and kind of getting these newer, younger writers into revitalize these characters. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I just read, um, Valiant, which was by Jeff Lemire, Lemire, uh, where it's got like bloodshot in it and a lot of the Valiant characters in it, which I wasn't okay. really familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like them all coming together and solving this thing. And it's a great, like one shot little graphic novel, man. And I was just like, cool. man, some of this would probably make a really cool television show. But like, it's a fun time to be like, be our age and like kind of seeing a lot of this stuff come to life, come to life on uh, the small screen or the big screen. Definitely. Yeah. I, um, you know, with dread, it was just like, cause I remember seeing the trailers for it and not being really too sold. Um, I remember thinking that the slow-mo effects in it or whatever, were going to be kind of a gimmick. I remember it was marketed as 3d, um, yeah. but, but then finally seeing it, and I forget the first time I saw it cause I've seen it so many times by now. Um, but finally seeing it, I was like, holy shit, man, how did I not even know anything? Like I'm so, you know, feel so dumb <laughs> for missing out at the theaters. You know, I wish I saw it in the theaters, but you know, the, the cool thing is that it just, it has just sparked a, a really great like cult following and everybody I talk to, you know, from my snootiest, most critical um, down to the least critical people are like, you know, judge or dread the newer version dread was dope, you know? Yeah. And, and it's, it's really exciting just to see what little tidbits and like what you were saying, I think with Netflix or any of these streaming services now um, and with digital technology, it's not, it's, you don't need a huge massive budget to deliver on, um, you know, a deliver, you know, for fans, like a good quality version of these characters that we either grew up with or are still reading or just have loved for years. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's some exciting stuff. And, you know, like, like with all the other things we discussed, we'll keep you posted on dread news, check out the, the camera noise Facebook page for articles that we forward or reviews that we write and what have you. Um, but you know, so far so good. I think, you know, with all the things that we've discussed so far, it's just like, like you said, it's a very exciting time to be not only a fan who's grown up on the source material, but seeing, you know, getting to the point that we're seeing some of these characters and these worlds be realized on the big screen, which, you know, um, for lack of a better way to describe it, I always felt like, you know movies film is like the be all end all of your storytelling for our generation you know because yeah. we, we all read various books that we read you know and it's always varies in our taste or comic books or tv shows or anime or whatever it is 
there's so much of it that it's easy to, for those things to get lost in the niche. Um, but I think for us in this generation, we're starting to see some of these characters that, you know, we never probably would have thought of seeing in a film, be in film, you know, Deadpool case in point. Yeah. I mean, the, for me, uh, I've dated some people who are just like, why are you so excited to see every comic book movie that comes out? I'm like, why is this yeah. a thing for you? And I, it's like, it's hard to like explain to that person, like when you were younger going to a comic shop and it's like kind of what, get, what made me go to our school and become an illustrator, even though I don't like yeah. drawing like comic books or anything, yeah. but like, that's what got me into it. I remember sitting there, open a turtles comic and just like drawing turtles all day long or just like drawing Batman, you know, as much as I could. And, you know, um, and I think, you always wanted to see these films. And I mean, we did get yeah. some throughout the years, but like this kind of, uh, th this, what's happening with comic book movies now is just like, this is what you dream. Like you went to sleep and had dreams about these fucking movies, man. Like in your head, you were just like, yeah, man, it'd be great to see Wolverine on screen. Like, how would that even be? Like, what would he do? You know? And I mm -hmm. feel like the, the little kid inside me is always going to go see a comic book movie just because, you know, it's just, I don't know, man, it's just nostalgic and I have to see, you have to see the vision that's brought it, it whether and I'll be the first one to say, if I don't like a fucking comic book movie, man, like I'll be like, that was a piece of shit. Yeah. You know, like I do not like the X-Men movies. Yeah. I don't watch every fucking one of them. Can't wait for apocalypse to come out, but I'm, I'm ready to go. When we do that super house podcast for that film, I'm ready yeah. to hate on it. You know, I was ready to hate on Batman versus Superman. I yeah, just happened yeah. to enjoy that film. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for me it was the last hour, but I feel you. <laughs> but uh yeah, I just it's interesting, man. Just like even some of the smaller comics that I just randomly picked up. Yeah. I'd really like to see maybe a like a, a new spawn movie or a spawn series or something, because I really enjoyed yeah. that character, especially the earlier comics. Yeah. So I mean I think he's a character that could be pretty relevant for to today's time. I mean, he's a war veteran. Uh did a deal with the devil becomes this like supernatural superhero. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to see them. Demons. I'd so. like to see them move in a direction that is more Batman versus Superman than like a Nolan kind of thing. Like I feel like, oh, yeah. I feel like sometimes people play it safe with these characters and try and ground them too much in reality, um, yeah. which is always cool to see because then in, in your imagination as a fan, you're just like, I could do that. They're telling me, they're telling me that I could do that if I, you know, if every, if the circumstances were right, I could be Batman. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah you know, that's kind of how that feels to me. But it would be cool to see a Spawn movie that was just a little. Um, oh, I mean, I think it should be not as centric, you know, or just like yeah. just balls to the walls, you know, it would be nice. Um, well, I but remember it, uh, uh, Tom McFarlane had kind of said, like, if he got to do another one, he would try to make it more like a horror film, which I always read Spawn yeah. as more of a a horror comic like yeah you know i mean a lot of dark shit happens in that it just also happens to feature a guy in a cape who Billy also can paid. yeah like <laughs> there's I, it, it'd be interesting to kind of see you know i think he's a character that could be still pretty popular and i think it'd make a good like they did that animated series which was pretty solid yeah, and, yeah. you know a netflix series or hbo series or whoever the fuck owns the rights to that anymore yeah. An HBO series would be great. An HBO spawn, that'd be fucking tight. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. It'll just be interesting. It's going to be great to see what comes out in the next couple of years, especially once, like, we get the bigger Infinity Gauntlet stuff out of the way and just, like, see what, like, maybe the little Marvel stuff might come out. Because, um, you know, they're in their phases right now. So who knows what's going to happen after the phases end. 
Yeah. You know, like what they're going to jump on or. You know. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'll yeah, watch every comic sure. movie. I don't care. <laughs> for sure. So, yeah, well, uh, uh, Dread, hopefully they get a sequel made or a series. I don't think it's been completely defined out what, what they're having conversations about, but just that we know that somebody is having conversation with somebody. Um, you know, we're having a conversation about it. So that's, that's a leg up anyway. I kind of hope uh, it's more than us. Than yeah, what we're doing. But, but mad props to Carl Urban, Olivia Thurlby, Alex Garden, the whole crew that made that movie. And, and hopefully we start seeing more from them. Um, moving on. I had a question for you. Oh yeah. So, uh, uh, just, uh, what, what property or franchise would that we haven't necessarily seen yet? Or, you know, even if we have like, what franchise would you want to see brought to the big screen? Um, and how do you think they should handle it? Um, I don't know if I would want to see this in uh, a big screen format, but I would really like to see some Brian K Vaughn stuff come to the small screen. I think Why the Last Man would be a great fucking television series, man, or like three solid films if you could do it. Um, yeah. I would also like uh, Saga. Uh, I've just consistently been reading that, um, and mm. I just think it's a lot of fun. It's kind of Game of Thrones, but with like creatures and space and just craziness. And it's yeah, I actually it, have the first two books. I haven't even cracked them. Yeah, I just started reading the fifth one, um, and oh, wow. it's it, like it's just a uh, it, it's just it's just a lot of fun, man. Um, I also picked up, um, I'm a big fan of Joe R. Lansdale, uh, writing and he wrote some Jonah Hex comics. Uh, uh he, he did a couple and I have a trade of some of the, of like his best, I guess. Okay. Um, so I, and knowing what I like reading Joe Lansdale's novels, I think if they adapted what I imagined the Jonah Hex stuff to be like, I think that would be a really cool, like, uh, alternative like western kind of series kind of like what uh -huh. hbo is doing kind of like with westworld or like yeah. with amc doing preacher i think jonah hex might fit in yeah to like that kind of world um i had another one that i was but i feel like most of the stuff i kind of want to want to see on the small screen just because i feel like you'll get a better story and i yeah. don't really i don't have any actors in mind that i like have to see to play these characters I just want like solid B stars, like, you know, Carl Urban, like being dread or other B stars just like, cause I mean, they're great actors. They just aren't, you know, the A list, you know? Yeah. So um, I would also like to see Constantine come back under different, uh, you know, a different uh, company or yeah, something, the, but also have Matt Ryan come back as Constantine. Cause I really enjoyed like just that, that, those first, that very, that very short first season was great, man. Yeah. I, there was a lot of stuff I didn't like about it. Um, I just, well, he, was like great. Were, he was great. No, no, he, he's the best part. And there were like a lot of really cool standout parts in that series, but I felt like because it was on a major network, they had to play it safe. It couldn't be that dark, but it had to be a little dark. Cause it's, it's just like all that bullshit you get wrapped up in when you get like big producers and, yeah. big studios and stuff but the other thing that i have been reading is outcast by kirkman who did the walking dead and yeah. you know but i really like that comic a lot it's a slow bo slow burn uh like exorcism exorcism story and it's really oh, slow cool. but they're already doing the series on showtime uh patrick fugit is playing the main character casting looks pretty solid interested to see that show for sure and then preacher has always been one of those that i would have 
like preachers coming, which just kind of blows my mind at the same yeah. time. Yeah. But it's something that once I finished all of preacher, I was like, fuck, that'd be a yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be show. it's gonna be nuts to see how they handle everything. You know, there's so much and there's so much. There's so yeah. much. But, um, I think I think you know just at a glance, Dominic Cooper is a great Jesse Custer. Just just so far, I'm like you know to me, I'm like yes, interesting casting. I can see that. Like this will be a very very uh, interesting. <laughs> and yeah. the dude the dude playing Cassidy. I don't know if you ever saw Misfits on um, the BBC series. Never. Um, it's it's good. The first season is the best one. Um, yeah. you, you get kind of wrapped up with these characters and then the second season or actually the end of the first season it's really weird how things the events happen in that but you know a couple characters drop off and then the focus kind of shifts in a weird way but um, one of the guys that's introduced is this character that is the actor who's playing Cassidy and mm-hmm. from the first and I knew that already going into Misfits so the first second I see this guy on screen I'm just like oh perfect absolutely yeah. perfect like that dude I don't know how they're going to do it yet. It didn't seem like he was wearing the sunglasses in a few of those frames or how they're going to uh, yeah, go about like certain things. But, um, oh, there's a trailer at the very end. He puts on some shades at the end. Okay, okay cool. So. Yes, but he, that guy is going to rock Cassidy. And I think Dominic my Cooper. Only, go ahead. My only beef is I wish he had blonde hair. I don't care yeah. what the the fuck he's wearing i don't care about sunglasses i just like love that because like jackie uh jesse custer's got the black hair you know yeah. slick back and i just like cassidy is just like that like billy idol punk rock yeah and i just i really wish they would have just like it was that simple like you yeah, could have just was, straight from the page kind of look yeah and and i feel like for the most part like looking at the cast uh, i feel like they've done that oh, as much as they can even with our space and stuff like there's... they've done as much as they can for and that, just, I mean, he could totally blow me away once I see that first episode. Yeah. Like, fuck it, I don't care what color he has. But for me as a fan of that comic, I think it would have just been cool to see just like him pop up with that blonde hair, man. I would have been like, yes. Right, can. yeah. Um, that, you know, there's just, uh, there's just so much. Like I'm, I'm like having like flashes of moments that happen in that entire series that are just, you know, like, that series goes everywhere. It goes up, it goes down. It got, it has great big laughs. It has twisted humor and fucked up shit goes on. And it also, it also gets really dark. It gets really deep, you know, and they just, you know, they go all over the place. They're all over the country. They're uh, around the globe a few times. And, you know, I'm excited to see who will play uh, hair, hair star later. And, um, yeah, you know we know Jackie Earl Haley is gonna play a villain in it. Um, yeah, and if he's already cast, then it seems like that particular storyline he's gonna be playing a character. I forget the character's name, but he's like this—he's like this, this tycoon of this like meat packing business or whatever, and he's just really twisted and fucked up. So perfect casting on their part, Jackie. Nobody plays <laughs> that better than Jackie Earl Haley. But um, yeah, man. you know, if, if he's already cast, it's interesting to see what they're what their uh, the the strategy is going to be for bringing these characters to life or how much story they're going to burn through what they might cut out or whatever but yeah. uh, you know I'm thinking of the really important and pivotal moments in there and there's just so much great shit and for them to do it on AMC you know uh, hopefully it runs you know at, at the very least eight seasons you know as much as the book yeah. or you know five even like I, I don't know 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like AMC's putting a lot on this, and I feel like with the favorable reviews that I've heard from, you know, some friends have actually seen it that actually know and like kind of yeah. trust their opinion, even though I haven't seen them in a long time or talked to them. But it's, you know, um, it'll just, uh, I- I'm excited for it. I think it'll be weird. I think AMC is like the best channel to have it um, yeah. because I feel like they kind of, I don't know, man. It's just going to be awesome to see. I was, I got PlayStation View and I was like, why did I, why did I even do this? Like, there's yeah. nothing to watch. And then they showed a trailer for it and I was like, that's why. That's why. That's <laughs> why I have this, you know, like, you know, I'm keeping this like $35 a month thing just basically for this one television show so I can watch it every week. You know, that's how excited I am to see this Preacher series. Yeah. Um, it's just been one of those that I would all, like reading it. I just thought it would make a good series. And I know, I think they thought about doing it in a film form, which good move on AMC's part, part, get those rights, make it a TV show. You can tell a lot of yeah, story that, in 12 that, yeah. episodes and get into these characters, which I feel like they need to be like, these characters aren't just, you know, uh, like, you know, you're not just getting a preacher in this, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be interesting. I'm very excited to see where the, what happens in the show. And I hope it offends so many people. I'm just, <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, it covers a lot of of ground, and the and the topics that are covered in it are are pretty controversial, um, yeah. by na- by nature. So you know, I just hope they're able to capture that garbage um, that was in the film. You know, they were, those comics were so atmospheric. You know, I think about the stuff when they're in New Orleans, and there's like vampirical kind of stories going on, and. You know, there's there's the story of, of how Jesse was raised and who he was raised by. You know, there's the Vietnam segments and stuff. And it's just like, man, you know, and Seth Rogen and uh, and uh, uh, what's his name? His friend, uh, Gold something. I, don't I forget Gold? his name. Is it Ed? No, yeah. I don't know. It's whatever. But, it's, you know, Seth Rogen and his creative partner who they both did super bad together. They did This Is The End. And, you know, actually, when I first heard that announced, I was like, hey, that's kind of interesting. That's kind of weird. But when you think about what what was going on at the end of uh, This Is The End, um, the film that they did with James Franco and and all those fucking freaks and geeks kids. Yeah, um, I never saw it, so. You never saw This Is The End? Are you joking? No, I'm not. What? I never saw it. Dude, watch that movie immediately. <laughs> oh my god, uh, it's great. Um, but so I recently I, came to terms that I'm not like a super comedy fan. Like I like watching uh, stuff with comedic moments in it, but I just like yeah. don't get excited for comedies. Uh, I think the only one I'm kind of interested in seeing is a uh, Keanu, just oh, because yeah, it's based around a, yeah about about a kitten. So oh, I love um, I love Key and Peele, but man. Please do yourself a favor. Okay, it's not it's not that great, but there's there's some really <laughs> great shit that happens in it, and it was really the moment where Seth Rogen and his whole camp of of people kind of broke the mold for the type of movies that they were making. Um, and it yeah. and you know the whole apocalyptic story kind of dwells. They they dwell in the the more like Catholic Christian mythology uh, of the Armageddon and you know the reckoning or whatever, and so. There's a lot of like demons and fucking, you know, there's a lot of really strange Catholic monster shit that goes on in this movie. It's a horror movie just as much as a comedy, dude. It's great. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's like after after hearing that announcement, that, uh, Goldberg, what is his name? God damn it. 
but Seth Rogen and his partner, after hearing that, it's just like, I bet you, I bet you any amount of money that it was the events of the end of this is the end that kind of led to part of that pitch at least, or the realization of it. Cause I know they were working on preacher for a few years before that, that movie got made. It was just kind of an idea that was being kicked around, but I bet you by doing some of that demonic shit that they did in this is the end probably led to, to some of the, the green to, to the, them getting a green light for preacher. And, and if that's the case, then I'm really super excited because you know, they, they kind of handle that horror and comedy, the really dark content very well, man. Yeah. I can't believe you haven't seen this as the end hot shit. <laughs> well, I haven't believe I can't believe you haven't seen true detective. So, well, I don't know. This will have to further the discussion. Go watch that movie. I'll go watch True Detective. We'll have an episode <laughs> where we battle yeah. those two out. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so that's pretty much, I think, our discussion for tonight. Um, all exciting news and very exciting things happening in, like, comic book films. I think that's, you know, a lot of our conversations center around this kind of thing because it was a big, like Maddie was saying, it was a big part of where um, our our own personal artistry and skill sets lie. You know, we both went to art school. Um, I went to school for film, so I love talking about everything film, but I also grew up reading comics. So now that they're starting to be married uh, in, in a quality kind of way is, is more than exciting. Like I can't even tell you being in a world where we have a Deadpool film is unfucking real. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Oh, uh, before we go, what was yeah. what were your picks for stuff that you want to see on the big screen slash small screen uh, oh, stuff man, that hasn't know, been adapted yet? You know, one thing that I would really want to see come to life, and this is it's not exactly a comic property, um, but I remember a few years back, David Fincher was trying to get a book called Rendezvous with Rama made. Oh shit! Yeah, dude, I would fucking love that shit. You, yeah, you've read this, right? Um, this I haven't probably, read it, but I've read enough uh, about it that uh, yeah, it's, it's, probably, it's on my ever-growing list of books. It's probably, it's probably my single favorite book ever. Yeah, and you know, and I read a lot of books, and I say that about quite a few. But this book, I would love to see. It's just you know, it's it. it, it bottom line, it boils down to, um, you know, the responsibility of explorers uh, and scientists in in a landscape that becomes absolutely foreign to them. The true definition of alien to the point that the further you get within the plot or the story, you know, the further discoveries they make only leads to more questions, and it kind of plays to that sensibility of being a scientist and the responsibility they have to preserve something they don't understand. It's such a fucking cool book. It would make such a great movie. David Fincher would have been a great director for it. Um, Chris Nolan would be a great director for it, but it would be nice to see somebody who has, you know, like the, a younger director filming, filmmaking is really a young man's game. So, um, you know, anybody, anybody with like, really strong sensibilities for space travel. Anybody from television, I know The Expanse is a really great show now. Um, um, it would just be nice to see some of that space-faring, contemplative, sci-fi, scientific adventure play out. Um, another one would be uh, Snow Crash, which is... Uh, I read it either, but I have it. <laughs> so this this book is written by Neil Stevenson, and it's, it was written in 1992, and it's hailed as like the last of the cyberpunk novels, the true cyberpunk novels. 
Um, and it's essentially, it's essentially the matrix. Um, but if the matrix got, um, drunk and high and got laid that same night, (laughs) you know, it has a sense of sarcasm and comedy to it. And it's got this really rapid fire kind of attitude. Um, so it would, it would, it would be really cool to see this, this tale brought to life because it's just, you know, it's, prior to the matrix, it was a bit heavily influenced on the matrix when they were, when the Wachowskis were making, putting that film together, they approached Will Smith to be Neo. And that was solely based on, um, because the main character of snow crash is an African American, half Japanese, badass hacker, cyber ninja. You know, he jumps, he jumps into a universe he helped create as a hacker online. So he knows how to bend the rules and make the rules. Um, and, uh, but he's also, you know, he does in the book, he works the most dangerous occupation, which in this universe is being a pizza delivery guy um, in a, in a world where all, you know, where all like fast food and popular culture and, you know, popular entertainment is run by organized crime, organized crime organizations or, you know, or um, the mafia basically and the Yakuza. So it's a battle between the mafia and the Yakuza on these really commercial levels where this main character is not only fighting uh, the war in cyberspace in a universe he helped create uh, by fighting off a techno virus. And he's also, he's also in the real world being a badass fucking hacker slash spy it's got everything it's just a really crazy book um and actually if i remember correctly uh if i remember correctly the director um of um uh what is the movie called attack the block um his name escapes me right now but um he was attached last thing i read and this was like three years ago the last thing i read he was attached to develop um a version of snow crash for the big screen um I think it would take a lot. It would take a lot of working around. It would take a lot. You'd have to cut out quite a bit of stuff because it's fairly dense, but the core action and the core story and the characters are so rich and so cool. The book is so full of attitude and it just like, it it fucking kicks you right in the nuts. And so, you know, one or two of those books would be nice to see actually come into fruition. Attack Um, the block director. John Boyega is the main character. What? Yeah, he'd be cool. He'd be cool. Um, they'd probably have, they'd probably have to play on a little bit on that Asian sensibility because it's really big in the book. Um, that yeah. his name is the main character's name is Hero H I R O Japanese hero uh, protagonist. Yeah. So it's kind of you know it's kind <laughs> of a joke unto itself. But um, yeah. you know yeah, it, it, you just whoever it may be, like even even in Attack the Block, there's the 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 young kid. Um, who gets killed, he gets the motorcycle, he has the motorcycle helmet on, he gets bit, I forget what his name was, but, you know, he takes the katana at one point, like, even that young dude, he would be a good pick for, you know, and then since that's the same director, you know, you never know, Um, but definitely those two would be high on my list of of, of projects to see in the near future. Um, Yeah, if we're talking about movies, I would love to see A House of Leaves. I don't know how they would do it, but I think it would be a very cool, weird horror yeah, slash, this, I don't this, know, man. It'd be just fun to see. Yeah, this book I always recently, thought David Fincher would do a really great job with it. Yeah, that would be cool. This book recently came into my, like, frame of vision. 
Um, I remember hearing about it years ago, but just thinking it was just like, you know, a book called House of Leaves. I didn't really pay attention. I didn't know what it was about. And I made assumptions probably for sure. But um, recently a friend, a few friends of mine were telling me about it and they actually had a copy of it and what a wild fucking experience. So um, yeah. It's probably like the most frightening book I've ever read. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It just puts you into this like, this i don't know man it just i don't know how to i don't know how to explain it it just it kind of wrapped me up in in it and i couldn't get out of it for like the t- but while i was reading it i remember there's a part in the book where the guy is reading this manuscript which is what you're reading yeah um and there's a part where he goes oh uh my friends would try to get me to come out but i was just so wrapped up in this and i remember in college some people be like hey maddie you want to go out and I'm like, no, I'm just going to stay in and read tonight. And then, like, the third time I did that, I was like, oh, fuck, you got to get the fuck out of this house, dude. Like, you need to go get a drink right now. Like, it was just one of those books that I, like, couldn't put down. Like, I had to know what happened. I had to know what was at the end of that hallway, you know. Like, it's just great. Uh, if anyone who's listening hasn't read it, it's well worth your time. And uh, that writer is also very interesting. He does very weird things in a medium that you don't think could – you could do those things in, but he does it. And it's a, it's a good time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, one of my favorite things to do is just speculate on, on the possibilities of, of, you know, just as we did when we were kids and the way we talk about dread and Batman and Tomb Raider, you know, just like, as we see these things come to life, uh, you know, now being able to speculate on these and putting that voice out there or just like, you know, uh, introducing the idea to other people brings it that much closer to the projects um, coming to life. Um, I hope as a as an amateur filmmaker, a budding filmmaker, one day I'm I have the uh, potential to to work on a property that I really enjoy. I think that's I think that's the dream of any creative person who who is closely tied to comic books, novels, animated cartoons. You know, whatever it may be. Um, yeah. I'd really like to see a a, a, a pretty decent like GI Joe universe be created, um, which I think is something that's in the works. So, you know, all that and more, yeah. all that and more um, on the following and following uh, camera noise episodes. Um, we're going to take a break here real quick. And then in the next hour, we're going to talk about some music news. We're going to spend some time talking about Sadaud, the new, uh, Chino Moreno of Deftones fame, uh, super group with Dr. No from Bad Brains, John Modeski. There's a whole conversation, um, so stay tuned. now we're going to get into some music discussion um we've been talking about the deftones a lot pretty much from the first episode and then just a couple days ago um there's an, a bunch of articles popped up about uh, chino moreno of the deftones lead singer the deftones creating a super group with um dr no of bad brains mackie jason um of the co mags and bad brains apparently 
and John Medeski of Medeski Martin and Wood, and Chuck Doom, uh, one of uh, Chino's Chino's pals. Um, so they released one single. The project is called Sodad or Sedade. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that exactly. Yeah. But um, I was hoping you had a good idea of how to pronounce it because I didn't want uh, to. I think I, I think I read enough where I can phonetically kind of say that it seems like French or something, Haitian yeah. or something. Uh, yeah. Sadad. Maybe I'll, I'll look it up after this, but I'm gonna make a guess. Has something to do with being <laughs> sedated, maybe something yeah. like that, like a like a, a an entranced state. Yeah. Um, hold on, I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna copy paste that bitch, and I'm gonna look it up right now. Um, but what did you think of the? Uh, what did you think of the 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 self titled single they released? Or um, I didn't know what to expect with the lineup. I thought it was very interesting that like Chino would be with like Doctor No, even though like that kind of makes sense because it is like you know he's metal, they're punk, punk mm-hmm. metal kind of. You know, and I was like, okay, that's cool. And then when you throw in Medeski, I was like, what the fuck does this kind of sound like? Because this guy probably did, like, I'm sure he enjoys all styles of music, but yeah. I just didn't expect. He's generally, he's generally kind of on the hippie jazz side of things. Uh, yeah. Medeski Martin. And, uh, and then with like his other, other collaborator friend, I was just like, and then the drummer, and I was like, this is going to be interesting. And I thought Chino was going to sing on it. And I was like, that's going to be weird. How's that going to sound? Is he going to sound any different? Like, I had all yeah. these thoughts before I even listened to the song. Yeah. Um, but I listened to it, and it sounded great, man. It's just like, yeah. if you took all those together, and they kind of made, like, rock jazz. And that's yeah, what it sounds yeah, like. It really is. <laughs> and, uh, like, um, um, so the name, I just looked it up, that the word sodad, sodade, or I don't know how to pronounce it exactly yet. It says a feeling of longing, melancholy, or nostalgia that is supposedly characteristic of the Portuguese or Brazilian temperament, <laughs> which is pretty cool, crazy. Yeah, I think that's what that song sounded like. <laughs> it, it, I'm not, I'm not familiar with the Portuguese or Brazilian temperament quite so much, other than having seen City of God uh, numerous times. Um, so that makes kind of sense, and the the image they have is like a beachside image uh on their on their on their uh on their BitTorrent release of this track. Um and uh I I thought it sounded really great. It had like tinges of um you know like I don't know like some like when Tool plays a Led Zeppelin song or when they cover a song, the song the type of songs they cover like it had a little bit of like Proggy, no quarter, Led Zeppelin, a little bit of Godspeed, you Black Emperor, even yeah. a little bit of Mars Volta with some of the more jazz elements, or like the organ playing, Medeski's playing. You know, it's like um, um, Ike Owens when he was in Mars Volta used to lay yeah. out this really kind of jazzy feel, and and it's dark too. I think the one thing that I really liked was most about it was that it had a darker tone than Palms or Crosses or even the new Deftones album. And that's kind of like, even though we don't hear Chino singing on this um, and not exactly sure what part he plays uh, exactly. I think he, from what I read in the comments, he's just like backup, like he's just another guitarist on it. Yeah, it seems like that. And then Dr. No, his guitar playing, it has like a little bit of flamenco kind of influences, Spanish influences right at the beginning. Um, Yeah. 
and then it, and then that shit just takes off. I'm definitely gonna have to listen to it a few more times, but I'm really excited. You know, it's, it's, especially after the new Deftones album came out, and then you get you know right after it's like, oh, and Chino has another band too. It's just like shit. You know, like this dude has his head on straight for sure. He has so many bands. So yeah. I, can't even, I can't even start one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I, the whole time I was listening to it, I was like, so when's 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 Chino gonna sing like? All right, I'm ready. Yeah. And then the song was over, and I was like, "If this is just a fucking cool ass instrumental album, great, I'm down." Yeah, if um, it was, if it was on that kind of heavy side, you know, and had that like sweeping emotional stuff too, like, man, that'd be so great. I mean, it, yeah. it already is, you know. It's like it's really cool. Yeah, I would, I would like to see like Chino maybe do some different vocal styling, something that we're not used to hearing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I feel like some, some sometimes in Gore, he kind of hit some notes that I was like, "Oh, that's kind of weird for him," you know? Yeah, um, kind of reach. Yeah, and I, I would like to maybe see him do something like that, or you know, I, I don't know what else the album's going to sound like. It could be a couple of yeah, so a couple of tracks with vocals on it, and then most of it be instrumental. So you know, I'd definitely be yeah. interested to see what all those guys get around to doing and what that album will sound like because I definitely think it'll be something that. You know, just from the sound of it, it's going to just be like this cool, uh, just kind of what I think kind of jazz might need right now. Yeah. Um, just because I feel like now jazz just seems to me anyway, from like the stuff that I've seen that's come coming out is very, uh, just kind of going back to like the older stuff or the chill. Like yeah. it's just for your, like your parents now or your grandparents. And it goes through like you know, waves of, yeah, I, I, I saw a lot of that in Chicago. There was a lot of really great jazz, you know, but then there's, it's really easy for that stuff to become stale and, yeah. um, and for that scene to kind of just like, inv- like fall back in on itself. Um, yeah, it definitely. Like for me, for my, for my taste, it's like, it's always, it's definitely about like the, you know, it's like equal parts emotion and darkness in tone. Uh, that's why I've always gravitated to bands like 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 Tool and Deftones and Perfect Circle and The Cure and Joy Division. You know, just like that that like post new wave kind of sound that is also in there. Yeah. Um, I think you know, and and Chino has always been really great at evoking that kind of tone in in his music. Uh, especially with like the electronic stuff like Team Sleep and stuff like that. There's always, even Crosses, you know, like Crosses, I haven't listened to it in a, in a while, but I remember that first EP, like I couldn't put it down for a few, a few weeks. Um, yeah. So, and this, and this is like, you know, he, he reminds me of Mike Patton in a way. He's kind of like the anti Mike Patton. He's like the huggable, approachable version of Mike Patton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and he just has all these crazy different bands. And to me, this is like, I mean, I don't think these bands sound the same, really, but, you know, it's like how uh, um, Mike Patton did Tomahawk, you know, just kind of has, a, it's a whole different attitude from the stuff we're used to that Chino's been involved with and and the yeah. people that and the people that he's working with, too. They're of such varied styles, you know. You can hear that punk, that little bit of punk sound in there, too. Um, yeah, definitely, like, uh, some of the guitar stuff has definitely got that. Just yeah. like the way the guitar sounds on it through Dr. No definitely has like that Brad, Bad Brains feel to it, which is interesting. Like, that's why I like it because it's like, it's mm-hmm. weird. You have like an organ jazz pianist and then like this, like, like just this, you know, grungy kind of guitar sound. And it's just like, it works really well, which yeah. is, I'm surprised it does. And no one's done this before. And I mean, maybe there's 
there's probably an album out there. People are like, Oh, you think this is good? You should check this out. You know, I'm yeah. sure it's out there and exists, but uh, it's kind of nice just to see this coming from him and like this band doing something. Yeah. I mean, they could have easily just made it like a straight up punk rock band, you know, with this, with these people, but adding Modesky right. into it just gives this other kind of feel. And it, it definitely seems like they wanted to do something different. Just, you know, kind of rock the boat a little bit, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like this, you know, when I first saw the first article I saw for it or whatever, and it like highlights Deftones and Bad Brains collaboration kind of thing. And then Modesky's name pops up pretty much right after that. Um, you know, it's just like, just from reading it, you're just like, holy shit, what's that going to be all about? And, you know, uh, I don't know. I guess I thought, yeah, maybe like, I don't know what I really thought, but then for it to turn out being like, it seems like even more of like kind of a progressive rock kind of thing going on there. Um, yeah. um, with it at times and stuff. And, um, and that's always been kind of my bread and butter. Like I'll go, I've gone, I've branched down the many different roads of progressive, uh, uh quote unquote progressive as, as a subgenre of rock yeah. or progressive music. So, you know, that for me, that started with Tool and then I've gone down the Yes road. I've gone down the, um, who else do you got? <laughs> um, like Jethro Tull and Rush, yeah. you know, it's like I've been, you go Dream Theater, all these different types of band, Devin Townsend. Anyway, yeah. you know, and so it's like, you know, this, it's like, it's such a nice little surprise because I really, after a long of consideration, a lot of listening to Deftone's new album, um, I've been, I really love it, but it's like this, this is now, this is kind of tickling me in that, in that area that I really, where I really enjoy music and that darker tinge of, of things kind of. Um, and even though Chino as yet is not singing, um, on this track, on the, on the self-titled track, it's still nice to know that he's involved and it's just really a great piece of music great fucking four minutes of your time <laughs> yeah man yeah it was great i liked it I'm definitely interested to see if hopefully there's more to come you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah hate for it just to be the hate for it to be this song maybe a couple others and then they just kind of abandon it i mean yeah just really yeah. release what you got man if it's five tracks i'll you know yeah, which is interesting. I'll, I'll listen to five tracks. Which is interesting how they released it. They released it through BitTorrent, you know, and there was yeah. no kind of official announcement. I mean, I guess there was. There was like, it seemed like they just let certain news outlets know and then that spread and then they're just like, this is happening right now. And then, they, yeah. you know, they released this, the single on, on um, BitTorrent with like no real description of what's going on or whether or not there's, um, at least as far as I've read, um, whether or not there's there's more tracks already being worked on or what really the direction that the band is going to go. Um, but, yeah. you know, just as a project, just for what it is so far, it's like it, it gets you right in that, just like, all right, I'm listening. What do you, you know? And, yeah. And that it's... You my attention. So yeah, and that it turns out to be so different from Deftones or even Bad Brains or Modesky, Martin and Wood, you know, it's like... Yeah, that to be so different. It's just like holy shit. Like, you know, I, again, like mad props to Chino. There's like this is like nothing this guy can't do. Yeah. <laughs> I just uh, want to know like what the conversation between Modesky and Chino was. Like, yeah, it's probably over like, some just, some some weed for sure. Probably over a yeah. fat bowl. <laughs> yeah. 
anyway it's yeah i i'm super excited to see where it goes and and we'll keep you posted definitely on the future of sudad or sudade yeah um so is there anything else you've been listening to this week uh that you've been been jamming um i've been listening to um horrendous uh which is just this kind of metal band it's uh i don't know man they kind of run the gamut on stuff like the vocals i wasn't really into but they've grown on me but they kind of go from like iron maiden to like some black metal to it just they kind of run the gamut of all the metals uh, in yeah. their music, which is kind of, it's kind of fun to hear because you'll hear some like black metal and then all of a sudden under that there's like this Iron Maiden solo and you're like what the fuck is going on? Definitely, um, they're and like the, co- the the cover of this album is probably one of the most metal ones I've seen in a while. Yeah. It just looks like something out of <laughs> I don't know, man. Like I've been playing Dark Souls three a lot, so it looks like something like a boss you'd have <laughs> yeah. to fight Dark Souls three yeah. that you don't want to. It reminds um, me of it reminds me of this painter. His he's like a Polish painter named Zisla Bekinski, yeah. and uh, I found out about that painter through um, Tools' official website like years and years and years ago. He he does you know he he says that his paintings are like social commentary and stuff, which I'm sure they are from his eyes. But they're like these really just like they're not quite as um they're not quite as like uh uh yes like demonic as this horrendous album is, but they're just really like this eerie, beautiful and off-putting kind of paintings. But that's what the rib cage kind of on the front cover reminds me of. I'll have to show you some. Um, I'll put some in the, I'll put some in the description. That's tight. But um, yeah, this album, like you were saying, it does, it does kind of like it shifts around quite a bit. And I think um, a lot of what is happening in metal is, is the like amalgamation of different sub genres into into the overall kind of scheme of what your band sound is. Uh, there's a lot of bands that are doing stuff like this. Um, one of my recent favorites that this album kind of reminded me of um, was a band called Nightfell, um, And their album, I believe, is called I Am something. I forget. I'll, I'll put that in the links. I'll put that in the description as well. Great album. Um, but the horrendous album is really awesome because as much as it goes into like a sludgier kind of tone or, or like a black metal kind of atmosphere kind of thing, the one thing that really gets me and listen, I listened to this album like three times in a row just because it's so riffy. And, um, and for me, like that is my, uh, that's just like, I, when it comes to guitar, when it comes to metal it comes to any of the music i like like i'm not too proud to admit that i really like like riffy shit i like catchy i like catchy tunes but the thing for me that i think catches most of the time is just the uh the acrobatics of of the different guitar players guitar players i like you know like what they're doing on the fretboard because you can play you can play the same notes over and over but how you play them differently really says something about your style and where you're coming from and I just feel like the attitude on this horrendous album uh, alongside the vocals too there's an attitude about it like at first they didn't really stick out to me but then like a few songs in it was it had this really just like you know like balls to the walls kind of attitude to it like uh, you know just like not a no gives to no fucks to give whatsoever kind of feeling <laughs> yeah I kind of had the 
when I'm picking out music or like metal or, you know, hardcore, uh, vocals, I just like a certain vocal, I don't, the vocal sound. And I feel like sometimes when I listen to metal, I feel like the, the, the guys go into a band and they're like, oh, I want this kind of scream. This is the kind of scream our band needs to have. Yeah. And I don't like a lot of bands that I really love. I feel like it's just like an emotional thing. Like they're not yeah. thinking about it. This is just the way that they sound, you yeah. know, and the way they want to express themselves. Um, and I felt when I first listened, when I was first listening to her and this, I felt like his vocal, the way he screamed on it was a very like, he meant to do this. This is the way this yeah. he means to sound. And that kind of, put me off to the record also like i'm also not as uh-huh. i like a good riff don't get me wrong but i just felt like i was like man this is a little too riffy for me you know really but the more <laughs> i listen to it i still kind of think it is a conscious effort for them to sound a certain way and his yeah. vocals to sound a certain way but i think it fits with it because it just it goes so well the more you listen yeah. to it it um, really it really does i like it, it really grew on me so when- one thing with the the vocals, like um, um, I'm I'm not I don't have this guy's name in front of me. We'll we'll, we'll get that. <laughs> um, the one thing, the one thing about his voice is that it's it's very distinct, and I always I always really appreciate um, the more you can you can I don't know the more flavor you have as a vocalist in metal because it seems like for a lot of people that's like the main argument for most people I talk to about metal is just like I can listen to hard rock and heavy metal instrumentals all day but it's like the singers like once people start yelling at me I'm completely turned off and and you know I hear that argument a lot and I don't buy it for a second <laughs> yeah because I because I know how fulfilling a great metal album a great contemporary death metal black metal album can be it's just part of the sound it's part of you know it's um it's it seems to me like in metal like all the instruments they serve different their functions as a bass guitar drums vocals or whatever but they all also share the similar uh sound that they're all percussive instruments in their own way so there's there's so much rhythm happening in in metal that um you know it it deserves it deserves that kind of like fine tooth comb approach um uh, i think anybody who really anybody who really likes metal it's just like you know it's like what you were saying it kind of like it's connected to that emotional part of them and i think usually the vocalists we are drawn to reflect that something in that emotion because more often than not like admittedly i don't i can't understand everything every metal band is saying you catch little bits of it but it's the it's the way it's being said in the, the emotion with which it's being said that i think that's what you know kind of it plays on our our own tastes of, of what we like yeah no i agree i think one of my like um, Converge is like one of my favorite bands and I don't ever know what he's screaming. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he put, he puts his lyrics in there and I like read along as I'm listening and I'm like, you're not screaming that. Those are just like guttural screams yeah. from your throat and they should be from somewhere else. And <laughs> I gotta you know, tell you. But, that's <laughs> I why I like you. his stuff because yeah. I feel like he's like an instrument of the band and if Converge didn't have him as a vocalist, you wouldn't have Converge. Right, definitely. They're definitely like, I really, uh, it took me a while to get into Converge, mainly because I was never really into hardcore, but as they kind of 
approached a, uh, a metal-like kind of sound. Like, didn't sacrifice their their sound um, too much, but they did adopt a lot of elements of metal, and they kind of they kind of like play on the line with hardcore and metal, which I appreciate. But yeah, um, it's always weird when I go to a record store and I'll be like punk indie, and I'll like find Converge in there, and yeah. they but they won't stick them in the metal section. I'm like, these guys are, I mean, yeah. I would put them more in a metal category. Cause yeah. I mean, they were, I don't know, they to were. Me it is, it's just harder than most yeah. punk. It's harder than most hardcore. I mean, yeah. Jake yeah. Doe is fucking like an intense fucking album to get through, but um, yeah, man, I don't know. I, yeah. I'm with you on the vocals, man. I feel like, I feel like you really got it. Like at metals kind of, you just have to to get into it. I think you got to put extra effort into it. It's kind of like jazz for me. Like yeah, jazz, exactly. jazz I like it isn't easy jazz to listen to. Yeah. Like it's very all over the place. It's not like smooth jazz. Yeah. And I think if like my like what I like in films and like video games and anything I'm in that I do in my life, I want to find like the hardest or the most the, the scariest or you know. I just have to get the extreme of whatever I listen to, you know? Yeah. So like if I'm listening, if I start off listening to jazz, I want to listen to like the most acidy, hardest, li- the hardest jazz to listen to just to see if I can get through it. You know, right. it's yeah. kind of the same way with metal. I think with metal, it's, you know, I just want to see how hard something you get before I'm like, all right, that is too hard. I just cannot do that, <laughs> you know? And I think the thing with metal is there's always, and same with jazz, there's always a flavor for everyone. Uh, metal has like, you know, oh, they have yeah. the hard, they have the hardness that some people want that they just want scream and just the lowest tuning you could possibly get. And then they have stuff like death heaven that's just kind of like, you know, like lack of a better term, hipster metal, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I mean, yeah, there's 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 everything there, and there's there's uh, yeah. For me, it's it's always it's always just you know one thing is it like it helps calm me down, and and recently, yeah. um, not that I'm like a raging you know rageaholic or anything like that, but it does it does it. I've always found just like something in that like rhythmic cacophony, you know, something about like a double bass, something it sounds like. You know, it's like it's like when you go out to a thunderstorm and you hear these big booming thunder sounds and lightning, and you're just like, I want more, I want more, I want more. You know, there's like this real visceral feeling that comes with with being a fan of all types of metal. Um, yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. And it kind of, uh, or I was just gonna say that, um, you know, and and more recently there have been actual studies on on metal music and it's been scientifically proven i'll find an article and i'll post it in the comments but it's been scientifically proven that metal calms the brain down like that type of music those type of vibrational wavelength uh, wavelengths hitting your brain um yeah uh, are, are are scientifically proven to to like lower the heart rate and lower stress levels but i think but i think people who don't aren't conditioned to metal in any way like my my first my first tastes of metal aside from like music videos on mtv or or you know whatever that was was just like you know is pantera's vulgar display of power and undertow by tool um these really started to help shape where i was going with metal and then all the bands after that they share you know they share like like you know that that true heavy metal guitar work that hard ass 
metal on metal guitar work of Dimebag and yeah. and and that kind of like more emotional introspective kind of contemplative sound of of bands like Tool or whatever you know there's always every metal band I've ever liked has had kind of that marriage of like this technicality and like dark emotional personality um yeah, I uh, people. <laughs> I think it surprises people because I don't feel like I look like a metalhead or anything. Yeah. Um, but it always surprises people, like if I just like put on my phone, like uh, back in the stock room or something, and yeah. or if they get in my car and it's just like you know, like horrendous is playing, or you know, something or like Converge is happening, and it's just yeah. they're just like, why like, this? Is, they just get so confused, and then. They're like, how can you listen to this? I can't even make out what's going on. And it's just like, I don't know how to explain it to them. It just, it calms yeah. me down. I don't feel as frustrated as I might have. And yeah. some of it's just like, I don't know what half these guys are screaming about, but I was upset at work and these guys sound more upset about whatever's going on in their <laughs> life. So maybe I should just chill the fuck out and just yeah. accept that my life isn't as bad as these guys. It speaks, um, to, it speaks to my primal instincts. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't really know. I just know it, uh, for a while I was going through a phase where I was just trying to listen to everything and just kind of found like what I like to listen to. Yeah. And I've done this several times throughout my, my life on this earth. And every time I come back to like metal, hardcore punk, yeah, just that too. stuff that just like gets me, you know, it can also chill me out, but it can also get me riled up for the day. Like if I'm going into work and it's just been kind of draggy, it's just like, fuck man, let's put on something that like gets me pumped, you know? And, uh, yeah, man, just uh, yeah. I well, keep on that, coming back to metal and hardcore, and uh, well, at this point now, I just like I can't stop. I'm just trying yeah. to dive in and just stay there as long as I can. Well, that's the thing too about metal. Like for me, a lot of it is like the catharsis of you know, like you know, processing my you know frustrations or when I get feelings of anger or even sadness or whatever it might be. Um, you know, there's, there's that avenue of it that, that acts as like a catharsis that kind of like, you can go to these dark places and dwell there, you know, without, you know, harming yourself or harming others or whatever, you know, becoming a total shut in, um, you know, there's an escape for that, but also there are, yeah, there are those types of metal, those, those, you know, badass tunes that get you pumped up, uh, you know, like you, you right before you go for work or whatever, or when you're leaving work, or you're just like you, anytime you need to be motivated. You know, there's so many different landscapes. They're like, if you're a horror fan, you know, and you read a lot of horror books or watch a lot of horror movies, there's metal for that. There's metal that plays on that eeriness, you know, that feeling of yeah. of of being scared and the darkness that dwells there. You know, it's, and and then you yeah. can branch off. There's jazz metal. There's all kinds of metal, and yeah, the you know. Crazy enough, as crazy as those definitions for those genres of metal sound, jazz metal or whatever, you know, there's a, there's at least 10 bands in that genre that are amazing, yeah. that are absolutely yeah. incredible. <laughs> there might just be 10, though. <laughs> there, might just, there might just be the 10, but... Um, yeah. you, you'd be really surprised what you find. I just I just started listening to uh, um, there's this band Fallujah. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. Um, I haven't. Uh, I think you mentioned it in like stuff we could talk about. Um, yeah, they, they just so well. I'm just just briefly. They just uh, came out with a new album, Dreamless, and I'm still making my way through it because it's super 
technical, um, super technical metal, and they do a good job of playing the really dark, really kind of like dense death metal kind of technicality in the instrumentation. And, um, you know, they do that really well, as well as they, they have kind of like a fusion sound at certain points where it gets a little jazzy and melodic and stuff. But they really, cool. they really mix it up really cool. They're, you know, at times, uh, the album before, the, the newest album is called Dreamless. Um, and it's really good, really good. A, a few more listens before I've fully digested it, but it's really good so far. Uh, but the album before this, um, which is called, uh, hold on, give me one second. The album before this, uh, there's a few tracks on it um, that are just like so sweeping. And uh, the album is called The Flesh Prevails. And one song in particular called Carved From Stone the guy's guitar work, I don't know his name, but it's just like these sweeping, amazing guitar. It's like, it's like if you learned how to fly all of a sudden and you're, you know, you're flying through mountains or something going up and down, you know, falling and figuring out how to do it again. Like this music is just so, it's so epic and it, it touches on all these different styles without ever being too much of any one of them. So I highly recommend Fallujah if, if our listeners or, or Maddie, if you're not familiar with them. Oh, I, I pulled it up on my Spotify. That's yeah, they're awesome. And their album art is really great. So not to mention. The yeah. Album well, it's, art. it's funny when you said the flying thing about the flesh prevails album and there's like someone just like gliding or yeah. a woman just like dancing slash flying, yeah. slash, like whatever she's doing. But yeah. yeah. I'm gonna, I think I'll probably start with that album and then check out the new one. You, you should. Uh, one review I read of that album, which I right before I listened to it, was like, <laughs> I mean, I don't. It's out of context a bit, but it was just like it was just like the flesh prevails. Uh, dot dot dot. Fallujah has changed metal forever, or something like that. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, fuck, I gotta listen to this. And yeah. it's it's so good. It's like you know, like with most great metal albums, it's pretty dense. But um, but they do some cool shit, man. Uh, 2014, 2015 was really when I started to take notice of some of these bands that were really doing some great, great albums. If I can recommend one more, um, there's a band called Alkaline and an album called um, uh, Grimoire. What is it? Something Grimoire. Um, I'll have to try and find it. But Alkaline, super dope band. Belugia, kind of in the same vein. Um, where they're just doing this kind of like genre bending, uh, heavy metal stuff. It's amazing. Cool. <laughs> but anyway, um, oh, the, the other thing I'm listening to is, uh, a band called botch, which they're kind of older. Um, I am listening to an anthology of dead ends, which is pretty good. Um, just kind of like yeah, more like, yeah, they're just kind of like a hardcore band, sort of with uh, metal tendencies, but just fun. It was kind of cheap on iTunes, and I hadn't really like I haven't dove into their discography yet. Um, I hear We Are Romans is really good. What was the one you said you were listening to? Um, and an anthology of dead ends. It's just like a little EP. I think it's like six tracks or something. But it was okay, like cool. I think it was like three ninety nine or four ninety nine on iTunes, and I was just like, eh, I kind of want to get into these guys. So yeah. Logged it into the queue. Um, so we'll definitely have to talk about that for sure. Yeah, there have been so many great albums. And I mean, I could talk metal for, for days, which I, which I, uh, 
which um it was why we started this podcast yeah. up again. <laughs> which, you can, which you can tell. I think there's, you know, there's no other, this is like the dumping ground for that kind of, because it's yeah. so, it's it's not so super rare that I find people who are into metal, but there's so many bands nowadays that it's so easy to kind of like, you heard of this band? Yeah, well, you heard of this band? Yeah, well, you heard of that? You could literally say anything and people will take you on face value and be like, oh yeah, that's a metal band. Yeah. So, so it's really, it's like, really, it's a very personal journey. You know, what I like, what sticks you know because there's also so much shitty metal out there um yeah. just like just with any other type of music that um that conversation can go south really quick i can't tell you how many times i've had to completely stop conversations when five finger death punch comes up <laughs> i'm just like no this is like yeah, i gotta back out of this and not you know that, that may sound pretentious of me but i just you know, I'm trying to, it'll, it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Trust me yeah. <laughs> to get into it. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> I'm just being a dick. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, I, I feel the same way about some of those bands. It, it's just not for me and it's for some people and that's fine. Yeah. But I'm kind of like you, like you got to say a couple of bands in a row, like you can throw five finger death punch or mushroom head in there, but there's gotta be like a converge, a death heaven. Uh, yeah. You know, Young and in the right. way, or something well, like and, that. I'm like, all right, we can chat. <laughs> yeah, and 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 to correct myself, like I'm not going to completely write people off because some of the funnest conversations about metal is where you you start with like your opposite tastes and see where you guys kind of meet in the middle. Because you never know, you never know what fucking band you're going to meet on and be like, hell yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, um but uh, but yeah, I've uh. I I'm consistently hunting out that conversation. I think I, I can celebrate metal any more than with how brutal I live my life. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, but, but the, you know, the insides, it speaks to my soul in a lot of ways. And I tell people that, you know, like, there's like the normal people that are always like, you know, I don't listen to that kind of music. You know, it's just too dark for them. I was having a conversation with somebody today and you know it's like people will, there's that question you get from people when you meet you know it's like what movies do you like what are you into or whatever it's like what music do you listen to and most people will ha have the answer where it's just like oh i listen to a little bit of everything and i'm like yeah. that means that means you listen to a little bit of what is put in front of you yeah i mean <laughs> you know? you, I, yeah i feel like you got to have that one kind of genre of music yeah. that you just kind of yeah well like yeah. for me it's metal like i dive to the deepest darkest pits of it but i'll also listen to like some of the chillest metal there is you know yeah. that's always yeah. my that's always my answer there's no hesitation ever and you know it's just like i do obviously we all listen to a little bit of everything but like i'm talking about your music here i'm talking about the music you listen to you know for i don't know if anybody else is like this but i like music is like a driving force for me in my life. My entire, my entire, uh, existence since I could have headphones in, since I had a CD player has been a soundtrack of, you know, of, of to my life. You know, there's always been yeah. something bumping in my head, you know, like kind of molding my perception of, of, you know, my thoughts and the way that the world hits, <laughs> hits my brain. Yeah. And so, you know, like without hesitation, I'm always like metal for sure. Yeah. metal let's talk about it do you like metal and, yeah. and <laughs> you know what i mean and and i try not to be a snob about it but it frustrates me that you know i don't know it frustrates me that, I hate because, that it's, 
it really has to do with like a surface level appreciation of things, you know, like if you're just, you know, if like you're just spouting off the top 40, you know, like, Oh, that new, you know, nothing against any of these artists, but it's like that new Adele album or that new um, Rihanna album, you know, like everybody hears those songs. You hear them in commercials constantly. So I'm just like, uh, you know, for me, music is a, is a, is as much a self exploration as it is an exploration of these bands and these different genres of music. And metal is one of those things, like with jazz and classical music and hip hop. Even to some people, is like you got to dig. You know, you got to dig for for you know nothing comes free with metal um, yeah. for the most part, and not at first. But then once you have that ear of taste, once you know what you like, then you're really yeah. starting to cook. Then you're really on a vast frontier. And, and that's yeah, I mean, metal, motherfuckers. Yeah, I kind of like got out of like searching for music. I was just got tired because there's always something coming out yeah. all the time. And it just gets so like, <laughs> I mean, I don't yeah. know. It's kind of overwhelming and it stresses me. It was stressing me out. And I'm kind of like you with, you know, I was always listening to music. My dad introduced me to like classic rock and stuff. Yeah. And then from there, friends would hand me like minor threat and just like I kept on going down that rabbit hole of like what was what like what I could get into and uh yeah man I just like I got out of it and then uh I'd probably say in the last probably like three four years I just dove back in and I was like man you've been missing this this is a part of your life you've been missing yeah. you've missed out on all this music and you like and a lot of it I knew of it's just like I was there's just so much to listen to and it's your iTunes is only so big and your computer is only so big and it just got so overwhelming. But now it's just like, I found a label I really like. I can count on them to produce something that I will be interested to listen to, yeah. or like I'll go see a show and pick something up maybe, or just be in the record store. So I'm kind of like not so much internet searching. I'm just kind of letting it come to me organically. Like yeah. I'll go to a record store for a record. They don't have it. Oh, this looks cool. Let me check it out on Spotify. Oh, yeah. they kind of sound like this band. I enjoy that band. Let me listen to a few tracks. Cool, I'll pick up this record. And I feel like it's a more organic way of trying to find music the way I yeah. think music's meant to be found a lot of the time. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, you know, even like when record stores were more prominent, um, you know, uh, there, was no I, there was no iTunes or internet to look. People just used to have to take a chance on stuff. And I kind of yeah. remember that from my high school days because my family didn't have a computer I didn't have a computer till I went to college. Yeah. So any music we got, I kind of had to like take a gamble on. And one of my favorite gambles was at the drive-ins relationship of command. So, yeah. you know, and I kind of just wanted to get back to that for me personally, it's what I needed to do to yeah. like get where I am now. Cause I feel like I've just like, just taken in so much metal recently that I think it kind of scares yeah. people who knew <laughs> yeah. stuff I was listening to before yeah. that. They're just like, who are you now? And yeah. I was like, it, this yeah. is like my favorite story is uh, I went home to visit my grandmother and I was listening to this group called Youth Lagoon, which is really cool. It's like a guy and it's just kind right. of chill music. Yeah. Really, I really enjoy it. Um, but my grandmother looks over and she's like, "You're listening to this?" I was like, "Yeah." She's like, "I just thought it would be harder." And so like my <laughs> grandmother even knows that like I've listened to hard music my entire life. Like, yeah. how did she know what I didn't know? You know, yeah. kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. And um, I, I think that's a, I think that's a step and just part of the process that we all go through. We go back and forth between that. But I think once you find out what your thing is, you just run with it, man. Like, yeah, for, for me, it's like, I, um, 
for me, it's like I'll go once a year and I'll look at like Pitchfork's list of like best albums and stuff. Because yeah. I won't lie, like I get down on like the the hipster, uh, snobby, pretentious music scene um, from time to time. And a lot of times, like the suggestions of the albums that come up on Pitchfork, they're usually like indie pop albums or like you know some some producer writer musician or whatever who has like an underground following in brooklyn or something you know like it's always kind of the same thing and the thing is is that most of those albums are really great musically like i found a lot of really good albums but nine times out of ten i'm just listening to him being like man i wish this was a metal album <laughs> you know like this is good but it's not a metal album yeah <laughs> but um uh but yeah so it's just been uh um I don't know. I think there's a lot that that it has to offer. Yeah, I think I think it's it's funny. I was uh, this friend of mine. She uh, she just couldn't understand how I was so into like because I was listening to a lot harder stuff. Like I think most of the time when she would like ride around with me, we go to a record store. She's like, "What is this?" I'm like, "This is Pig Destroyer," and it's like, "This is not <laughs> Pig Destroyer is not an introductory band into grindcore <laughs> metal." Any so and then um, Graf Orlock. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, and then she was like, and then I'd put in a Deaf Heaven Sunbather, and she's like, what is this? Like, this guy's screaming, but it's kind of like shoegazy and yeah. all this. And I was like, oh, this is a metal band called Deaf Heaven. They're really good. I just started, like, listening to them. And, like, she has one metal album in her record collection, and it is Deaf Heaven Sunbather. Nice. So I think, like, you know, it's kind of nice to have people who take that chance and, like, listen to it. Um, For sure. And, you know, if you can introduce someone to one metal album, because, like, metal, I feel like metal's kind of like a scary word. Like, oh, no, no, I don't like that. And it's like, right, I, feel right. like there, I feel like there's a metal album for everyone. Scares, you know? off, scares, off, to, the, scares off the normal folk. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, if you get in someone's car, because, I mean, I think most metal people are always looking for the next, like, cool metal thing or the next, like, the heaviest thing they can get most uh, of the time. Uh, and this, I just think it's like when you get in a car, like you're like, oh, yeah, I listen to metal. And they're like, is this what you listen to? You're like, well, yeah, I'm listening to Pick Destroyer right now. You know, yeah. I feel like that's like, that's what they think all metal sounds like. Right. And it, yeah, it really. Or, or I mean, it's like they only know Metallica or like Pantera. And there are so many different subgenres, genres of metal that aren't that yeah, kind of thing. Exactly. It's just not your, it's not your type of metal. Well, it's and the thing is, it's not it's not like a it's not like a prescribed style of music, you know. It's just like everybody's brought up on pop, and everybody's brought up on, you know, like uh, whatever hard rock, rock and roll, or whatever the singles are, you know, whatever the yeah. popular thing is at the time. Everybody gets that in the radio or TV commercials or through friends or whatever. So it's just like for me, growing up, it was really had everything to do with like branching out create like individuality you know finding you know getting to the depths of what it is that i enjoy about music so much and then you know i like metal to me was just like this big furry couch you know it was just like this big like bearskin rug or something like that i didn't i just like fit so comfortably <laughs> and uh you know, and, and I remember thinking like metal for me was going to be like a phase, you know, throughout college and stuff. And, you know, my I remember my brother really didn't get it. One of my brothers really didn't get it. You know, just thinking I was like following a fad or something like that or trying to look cool by wearing all black. And it's just like really the reality is I've never been comfortable in anything that isn't all black. 
I just have been too afraid to show that, you know, when I was growing up and, yeah. you know, I didn't dress me when I was growing up a lot. My mom just picked out my clothes, but, <laughs> but yeah. you know, when it, it was like in college, it was, it wasn't actually till a lot after college really. It wasn't until we lived in Chicago um, that I really started to like find my, my niche in the metal music that I liked and it started to become like it was on my it was on on my lips uh, every turn every conversation I had and still now so it's like when I get in conversations with people about metal of any kind you know it's interesting like you said like a lot of people they just name off like the Megadeths and the the Metallica you're you're you know you're talking to somebody who knows somewhat what they're talking about when they introduce the Pantera you know what I mean? But yeah. it's just like you can tell like the clear division of where your musical tastes lie when somebody is just like, yeah, I like some metal. And they mentioned something from like 25 years ago. Yeah. And you're just like, well, you know, like, again, like I know I sound pretentious saying this and I'm not judging anybody or anything. But really, it's just the the personal journey I have taken with my love for metal. It's something that I thought I would grow out of that has only grown since um, you know, I really started to realize it uh, is is such a rewarding journey, and I cannot recommend heavy mid heavy metal music yeah. <laughs> enough. I mean, like I was saying, it's just like you got to find your, you know, you just got to find what you like, and I mean, that's the thing. It might not be for you, but I feel like for most music genres, that you there is always for me anyway. I always can pick out some of my favorite records out of a yeah. genre, you know. Yeah. And I feel like if you're a fan of music and all types of music and those people will go, oh, I listen to a little bit of everything. It's like, I just want to be like, all right, let's dive into this. Like, what are your, what's your favorite jazz artist? Oh, I don't really listen to jazz. So you don't listen to that, you know? And um, I don't know. Like, I, I just like, when I talk to people about music, I want to be able to like talk about it. And like, do I listen to every subgenre or every genre of music? No, but I'm willing to be like, oh, cool. Yeah. Let, like, let me know what's cool, man. I'm totally down. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, you do an, it once the cool thing about any type of music is if you do enough exploring, you start to see how they all kind of connect, you know, like, yeah, I got, I got really into ambient music for a while, um, uh, after college. And I just like, tr I was trying to get every kind of like ambient soundscape kind of thing that was, that was worth a damn or like, you know, just to know more about who did what, where it came from. And um, and then I got into this like subgenre of ambient that was like, you know, intentionally like there's like eerie soundscapes intentionally made to like, you know, to, to stew up those feelings of fear and terror and darkness and melancholy. And, you know, there's so much of that out there. One album in particular is Liber Leviathan's um, um, Endura album. The second track on that album is essentially these guys like creating what they think hell would sound like upon first entry. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I started, to, I went down this road where I was trying to find like the darkest ambient music I could find. Um, Lustmord's album Heresy being one of those, which is really amazing. But, um, you know, that led me not only into different ambient black metal bands uh, that are around as well as, you know, um, this different sound of ambient groups like uh, like um, Tim Hecker and Grouper and uh, I don't know who else you got. I don't know, just like <laughs> contemporary ambient guys. So there's just like, you know, it all connects, you know, and, and 
you know, if you listen to Death Grips um, nowadays, you're not only listening to hip hop, but you're also listening to punk at the same time and industrial. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, it's really cool to see when, when mixes of genre start to really work. Um, and, and when, when good groups come out of it, cause Death Grips could easily be, have been perceived as like a, a, a juggalo kind of band. Um, had it not been for some of the attitude and differentiation of their sound and some of the darker influences that come from, like I said, probably punk and like industrial. Yeah. Um, totally in agreement with that. Um, yeah. Cause like after I went through like a jazz phase for like, man, probably like a couple of years. Yeah. For and sure. it's like, all, it's all I listened to. Um, I mean, there would be other stuff in between it, but I always kept going back to it and it's like, I have a couple of jazz albums and I try to put them in right now. And I'm just like, this is cool. It's not metal. Um, so <laughs> definitely, uh, I think it helped get me back there. Cause I was kind of listening to some really intense jazz, just the, the more acidy stuff. Um, yeah. Some Ornette Coleman. Yeah. Like the shape of jazz to come. There's a Coltrane album called Sunship, which is kind of an intense, like you think, like, I mean, when you think John Coltrane, you definitely have like giant steps and, um, uh you know uh, a love supreme and stuff like that which is like got a little bit of weirdness to it but for the most part it's pretty like these are like classic albums that people can listen to um but sonship is just man it is it is one of those that is just like it's not it's not what you introduce someone to like here's john coltrane sonship this is the first john coltrane they ever hear it's like this is not how you start them on you know it's like i don't think i'd let anybody just like sit down with bitches brew by Miles Davis, I'd probably start him off on something a little different, but you know, uh, just kind of went on that journey. I'd never really gotten into it. A friend of mine in Chicago, uh, you know, Ben Brooks, he, uh, yeah. he kind of just, like was kind of going through like a progress. Like he got me into yes. And I was just going through that. And, he was <laughs> like, and then I was like, and then he gave me like a jazz album or something or an LP we got in. He was like, oh, yeah, I had the most, um, I had the most amazing makeout session one time in Chicago to Heart of the Sunrise by Yes. Oh man, that's pretty good. Epic <laughs> makeout. <laughs> anyway, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no. um, but um, yeah, one thing just led to another. I think I ended up watching the um, Charlie Parker, uh, Clint Eastwood movie, um, Bird, and just because yeah. I didn't really know anything about it, and I don't know, I was just trying to watch films I'd never heard of. And is that who, is that Forrest Whitaker, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a great movie, and it kind of got me into Charlie Parker, and then it was, and then Ben gave me Cannonball Adderley's Something Else, which is one of my all-time favorite jazz records, and it was just a downward spiral, man. Like I just could not get enough of it. Yeah, you know, I, I remember that. that. And then, um, and then I just like kind of just stopped. I was like, I've listened to everything I can listen to. You know, <laughs> like I feel like like uh, I just. I feel like I've listened to the greats and anything new I was listening to wasn't as good as that stuff I was listening to. Yeah. And I just dove back into that old stuff and just like, just ate it up, man. And I'm sure there's artists like I haven't even um, gotten into that are probably great, but for like the, the year I was into it, it's, I did all I could do, you know? Yeah. For <laughs> so, sure. But it's kind of like that. Like I'm going through that with metal um, right now, but it's like one of the, but metal's like been like, it's not a phase. It's just, it keeps coming back up again and again. And, uh, something you got to stick with and I'm sure jazz will come back around at some point. And I don't know, man, music's a weird thing. It's fun to talk to yeah. people that yeah. like what you're into and like, 
you know, just have a good understanding of music. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, like don't, I don't think you have to be a musician to have this conversation, but, um, you know, it does help if you uh, yeah. do play guitar and you do like really riffy stuff. Cause I know when in your personal stuff, Stefan, it's very riffy. So I know what, oh, kind, of, yeah. like, I know sure. what kind of stuff that you definitely get down to. Whereas, yeah. you know, I think for me, it's, uh, I don't really need the riff necessarily. I just need it. Yeah. I don't know what I need, but I just, uh, you know, yeah. I don't know, man. It's a fun journey, music. Yeah. I, I, I got out of it. <laughs> I like, you know, for me, it's like the it's like the spats of little things, you know, like with the death of Prince recently, rest in yeah. peace. Um, oh, man. You know, I found myself not only like going back and listening to a lot of his stuff I've always liked, but also like finding out the groups that he helped kind of or like I was listening to Sheila E the other day. I love Sheila E. So now I'm like, <laughs> you know, as much as I'm into metal right now, I'm in these I'm in this like spat of music where i'm you know listening to all these uh 80s late 70s early 80s kind of like um i don't know what style of music would that be <laughs> I, I don't know man uh, you know it's because it doesn't it really kind of doesn't... pop for the air like yeah i guess yeah the... yeah yeah something but you know whatever so it's like you know you find these little you go on these little journeys and stuff and that's you know for me that's where that organic process like you were talking about um comes from uh but otherwise it's like you know i know what i like i know what i want and it's usually like i'm gonna get the cheeseburger and fries you yeah. know and and yeah. uh, you know it's like that's you know that's heavy metal to me like every time that's what i'm gonna get but yeah. um but it you know it makes those other experiences that much richer i'd say um but anyway, I think we're kind of. There's nothing. There's nothing better than <laughs> finding out about a band, putting on the like the first track. Oh yeah, like, that's like a fucking amazing. This is my not, new favorite thing, and I want everyone like a, to know about it. That's like a drug, man. That's exactly the definition of what a drug is. That you know, yeah, it's dude. A, you get that high the first time when I first heard. Um, when I first heard. Uh, what's the one uh well when i first heard that first mars volta ep i was like i can't believe this music exists you know or or yeah. or, or um what was it recently or the first time i heard cynic's album you ever listen to cynic um i think you i think uh, we you told me about them and i listened to yeah traced in air Traced think, in air, traced the album Traced in Air is like is a prog rock masterpiece, and then yeah, um, and then they they had an EP called uh, oh I forget what it's called, but the the first track on it Carbon Based Anatomy. Like I was listening to the guitar work and everything, and I just couldn't believe that that music existed. It's like the first time I saw the color blue, and I was just like, yeah. how does this color exist? You know, like it boggled my mind. <laughs> if that yeah, makes any no, sense I, to anybody. <laughs> But um, no, I totally understand. It's yeah. that's those are like your favorite records now. Like those are the ones that like if you know someone comes up to you and be like, I want to be friends with you. How does that happen? You have well, you need to watch these this stack of films. You need to listen to this stack of albums, and then we need to discuss. You know, and if you can carry on a conversation with me after taking in these things, then we can be friends. Or if you just meet someone who has already listened to those same albums or watched those yeah. same films, yeah. they're gonna, you're going to be friends with them and. It brings people together. Yeah, metal. Metal bringing people together. Metal. <laughs> For the yeah. kids. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, man, is I got to head out. Is that what this episode is called? For the kids? <laughs> For the kids. Yeah, very well, well maybe. Yeah. Um, 
I got to head out. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Maddie Fitz, again. Yes, um, it's always fun, Stefan. Yeah, check out some of those trailers that we mentioned. Uh, definitely check out Sodad, the new Chino Moreno uh, experience. Yeah. And um, and if any of the bands you heard us mention, definitely absolutely check out uh, some of those recommendations because they if you come. don't, we won't hang out with you. <laughs> well, they come. They come on very high, very studious, uh, uh, working with a fine tooth comb. Uh, through this music to make sure it's the highest of quality for our <laughs> listening audience. Yeah. We don't <laughs> and, listen to shit on this podcast. <laughs> don't listen to fucking shit. Anyway, uh, I'm Stefan Santa Cruz. I'm here in Denver. And I'm Maddie, and currently in Cincinnati. Maddie from Cincinnati. We out. Bye. You can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash camera noise podcast and also at soundcloud.com backslash superhouse podcast under the playlist camera noise on Twitter at camera noise pod and email us at camera noise at gmail.com.